Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. It's a football Friday. We are here. We are ready to go. The Cougars are 3-0. and They ought to go to 4-0. and Dallin Holker with the media as the Cougars prepare for South Florida. Dallin, how good does it feel to actually you know, have the tight ends be involved and I have a bunch of questions lobbed your way about when you guys are actually going to start producing? Uh, you know, it feels good. I mean, it feels good anytime that we can you know, work together and, and um, help the team out a little bit. So it was nice. It was fun. I wanted to ask you about that screenplay they threw to you. Blake Freeland, he gets out there and gets that block. Were you, how impressive was that for a left tackle to get out there and spring you? I mean, it was super impressive. Uh, I mean, that play only worked because of Blake and, you know, because of the, the other alignment. So it was sweet to, uh, to see him go out there and just crush that dude and, and help it so the play could actually get open. <laughs> Hey, Shep, and then Mitch. Um, Coach Satake had mentioned a couple of weeks ago that he wished everybody had come back from their missions uh, the way you have uh, in terms of being ready to play. I- I'm just curious, what what was your mindset? H- how did you handle getting back in shape, and, and what what has gotten you back as quickly as you have been? Um, I just really tried to focus on listening to my body and not doing too much and but trying to work as hard as I could but I mean I can only think thank honestly God for helping me to get back into into shape and being able to play because I mean it's something that I mean it's always a worry for missionaries really but I just kind of had to trust in him and trust that as long as I serve my mission that he kind of had my back too when I came back. So have you even surprised yourself how quickly you've been able to get back to this level? Uh, yeah, I'm super thankful, uh, honestly, to be able to, I mean, be where I am right now. I definitely have a lot more to improve on and a lot more work to put in, but I'm super thankful uh, for where I am right now. Thanks, Dallin. Dallin, a quarter of the season's already done uh, through three weeks. What do you feel is the strength of the offense and maybe an area that uh, you guys are hoping to improve in the coming weeks? Uh, I mean, I think a strength is that we're all united. I mean, we're a brotherhood and we're a family and we all have each other's back. And, you know, we have a lot of drives where we're really explosive and some where we're, you know, trying to just get things together. So I think just really putting it all together here in the next few weeks and just being explosive all the time and, and having those explosive plays and being the offense that we know we can be. You were on your mission two years ago when uh, BYU lost to USF. Have the upperclassmen, you know, maybe – shared their their feelings towards what transpired in that game and the focus that needs to take place for this matchup? Um, no, they haven't really talked about it, but we know that, you know, they're a really good team and that they have a lot of athletes and, you know, it's, you can't go in any, into any game really thinking that you're going to win. So you have to have the same preparation every week and just uh, keep working your hardest every week and, and play your best on Saturday. Okay, Pat and then Jay. Hey, Dale, thanks for taking the time. I was just, uh, not to bring up a negative, to turn into a positive, but uh, does any play maybe epitomize BYU football more than uh, Tyler and Jaron, you know, taking advantage of that, uh, you know, Tyler with the strip and Jaron jumping on the football? I mean, they turned in what could have been a negative into a positive. Yeah, I mean, I, def- I definitely uh, think it describes the way we are. And that play describes definitely like Tyler and, and Jaron and the people they are, the, the hard workers and they're humble and they want to win and, this team, we're a brotherhood and we want to win together. So, I mean, when you see our teammates chase down 
uh, that linebacker like Tyler did. It just shows the love that we have for each other and how badly uh, we want to win. Yeah, hey, Dallin, uh, when you were recruited, did you look at kind of this idea that BYU had a really solid brotherhood, a culture, um, kind of a family attitude? Was that part of your decision to come to BYU? Or was it other things like facilities and coaching and different things like that? Oh, yeah, 100%. It was like the culture and the way that I felt here. I mean, when I come to practices and when I was on my recruiting visits and all that, I could definitely just feel like the difference in the family culture and the the learn the love and um, that they had around here. And it was just something that, I mean, when you feel it, you just want to be a part of it and, and do your best that you can. So it was definitely one of the biggest things um, in my recruiting. And I just wanted to ask you about the red zone success. Was that a point of emphasis in fall camp to, to be better in the red zone? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's always a, uh, I mean, we always want to try to be the best that we can be in the red zone. So it's definitely something that we, you know, we've worked on and that we try to improve and try to be the best that we can uh, when we're in the red zone. There is Dallin Holker with the media. Now here is the defensive coordinator, Elisa Tuiaki. Coach, it sounds like you were there in the room. So you probably heard me talking to your boys about uh, turnovers and takeaways. Wanted to ask about finding the right balance. Uh, You know, you want your guys to be ball hawks and go try and rip it out. But at the same time, you don't want to sacrifice big plays or giving up extra yardage. How do you make sure your guys are, are doing the right thing as far as when to go for those takeaways? Um, yeah, sorry. I wasn't, I, I wasn't listening to the interview. I was back there eating chips and stuff. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, I think, I think uh, th- there's, there's really not just a cut and dry answer for it. I mean, it's, it's, uh, everything's really situationally. You know, there's, there's so much – um, when you're talking about the game of football, that just tactical football comes into play. And so, um, you know, every, I think every play on defense is meant to, uh, uh, there, there's elements of trying to get a takeaway and, and get the ball back. And, and every, every play on offense, there's elements of, um, you know, trying to score. And so even, even when you're throwing three step on offense, uh, even when you're dropping eight on defense, there's there's just the 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 you know the scheme of of everything is really kind of plays has its strengths and has its weaknesses, but there's always uh, times to try to try to you know amp things up. And so I think you know as as we're, we should try to control things on the coaching side of of uh, aggression and and uh, where we think we can probably pick and choose our times to be a little bit more aggressive and where we think it's just not worth it. Um, there's, there's just, you know, some tactical things that go into play when you're talking about that. But I think, you know, there's, there's always elements of trying to get the ball back with um, even with more, more uh, conservative plays that you have. I asked the guys about the turnover props. BYU's joined the group with the turnover belt. What, what does that do? Um, what are your thoughts as far as, as far as the, you know, kind of highlighting a takeaway like that? Yeah, then the belt's a cool idea. Um, you know, it's uh, I don't think it's the end all for for takeaways. I think it's just a great way for us to have to have fun and and uh, you know, well, Kalani is about uh, the boys bringing juice on the sideline and having fun. I think it's just another thing that adds to the culture of us trying to stay loose on the sidelines and and have fun. You see it all over the country. You've seen it for several years now, where people have certain things that they do. 
um, that that's just one of the things that I think adds to the the fun that that boys have on the sideline. Coach uh, Keenan brought a lot to you guys both on the field and off. Uh, what maybe maybe makes uh, Ben Bywater the the right guy to fill those shoes at this moment? Yeah, Ben's Ben's done a, a phenomenal job just prepping himself and coming. Mean, he's come a long way with the, the shoulder injury that he had last year and just his body, the way that it looks uh, last year versus it, it does now. I mean, coming off his mission and prepping himself and working hard towards it. And it's the same type of growth that Keenan had when he was, you know, Keenan, Keenan had a shoulder injury as well that he kind of fought through. And, you know, you have a young guy that, that puts in time during the off season and uh, when their number's called and, you know, gives him an opportunity to, to show up and Ben's done. Ben really had, has had a very, very similar path to Keenan and just, uh, becoming the guy and, and uh, you know, now we're going to need him to step up and I know he's ready for the challenge and, and Keenan's going to be alongside of him the, the whole way to help out and, and uh, coach him up and do all those things. But uh, I mean, Peyton, I'm not Peyton, but uh, Ben certainly uh, deserves and earned the right to, to step in and try to fill in for Keenan. A quarter of the season's already in the books. Uh, these, these weeks, once one goes down and they, they keep flying through and I'm curious with, with a quarter of the season in the rearview mirror, what maybe is a, a strength of your defense that you feel pretty good about and, and maybe an area that you want to still uh, continue to see some improvement in, in the coming games and, and months? Yeah, uh, I really love the way that, uh, you know, the energy and passion that they're playing with. I mean, the support that they're playing with as far as just the, you know, buying into the culture that Kalani's had. And um, I think that's something that we can, we can ride the wave of, of the energy and the, and, uh, you know, the juice that that brings in. And, um, you know, we're banged up right now. We've got, got a lot of guys that are, that are nicked up. We've, you know, obviously lost Keenan for the rest of the year, but um, we've got a lot of guys that can step up and, and bring that same passion and energy to, to keep things moving. I mean, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a crazy year to, to have all these home games, you know, and not have to leave the state of Utah when we, when we travel next week. And, um, you know, I think with, with that, being able to play at home and, Having the having the you know Cougar Nation there in the stadium, just all that energy. And there's a the, the players feed off of it, and the ones that we're we're asking to show up and fill in for the shoes of those that are getting banged up and sacrificing their bodies in, in the previous three games. Uh, you know, I think those guys will do a good job because of that. All right, let's go, Jay, and then Sean. Elisa, Ben just told us that he was recruited off a rugby film because he was. Uh, injured most of his senior year of high school. Um, what do you recall about that? And, and uh, what did you see that made you guys want to offer him from that film? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're familiar. I'm familiar with the game of rugby. Uh, you know, there's, there's a skill set that you look for with uh, certain players. I mean, he was, a, he was a phenomenal running back when he had film um, playing, playing football, but his ability to play rugby as well. I mean, he, he was a, he was a tall athlete that could run and that's, Really, when we're recruiting, that's one of the things that we're looking at is recruiting tall and recruiting fast. And, and he filled um, both of those requirements for us. And then you try to recruit him smart, which he was a really intelligent uh, uh, person in the classroom and took care of his grades. Um, you know, had had uh, the aspirations and plans to go and serve a mission, which, which checked another box for us. And so everything really, um, you, if you hear some of us talking about recruiting, sometimes we we don't really care what the film looks like. It's, it's, uh, they've got to be 
they've got to be tall enough. They got to be fast enough. They got to be, be smart enough in the classroom is a really an indicator for us to recruit a kid like that. And, and Ben, along with a lot, a lot of other players that we're looking, looking for, they all fit that. And so uh, they're the kind of kids that we feel like we can develop. Coach, I'll jump in. And, and I, I want to ask you about kind of the, uh, the first touch, if you will, of defense in, in, most games and maybe that's just the former long snapper in me because I love my specialists um, but it feels like you guys have a punter right now who's a really big weapon uh, defensively I mean what's what's it do for you guys on defense to have a guy who can just bomb a ball 75 80 83 yards down the field the way that that uh, Ryan Rico can yeah he's he's unbelievable <laughs> and it's uh I mean it's huge for us to have right you've um I mean, here in the last three years, we've we've lived the nightmare of the, of a guy that's only punting 15 yards. You know what I mean? And so, uh, for somebody to do that to flip the field, I mean, uh, when you're just looking at it statistically, the the percentages of uh, of the amount of points an offense is going to get depending on where they start on the field. I mean, it just it just flips it, it changes and in your favor. Um, and uh, I mean, Rico's been huge for us and. And that's, uh, it's been unbelievably huge for us on defense to have that kind of field advantage. There's BYU defensive coordinator Eliza Tuiaki through three games. Man, that defense has been good. That defense has been very good. I know they're losing Peely. I know. That defense has been really good. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Alex Brink. Going to talk a little Washington State football with us as the Cougars get ready to face the Utes in a battle of one and two teams. Alex is coming up next. It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Aggies square off against Boise State for a big Mountain West Conference battle at Maverick Stadium. Hear all the play-by-play action on the Zone Sports Network, beginning with a pregame show Saturday morning at 9. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. All right, it's time to bring in Alex Brink, Washington State football radio analyst. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. The best of state award winner, Smart Rain, is having an end-of-season sale on their irrigation smart controller. Save 50% off each smart controller purchase. The offer available to all commercial property zone listeners. Visit SmartRain.net to schedule a demo today. Alex, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you doing? Good. Depending on which of the local college football teams we talk about, there are varying levels of confidence. And I suspect when we talk about Washington State football, you would say the same thing. Varying levels of confidence. Times they look good, times when they don't look good at all. Yeah, I think that's a uh, fair assessment. Um, You know, in all honesty, the... I think week one, obviously against Utah State, which I'm sure you guys followed, was you know was a pretty big wake up call in the end, in the end for for Washington State. You, know, you get kind of a a game in week two against Portland State that you're able to get your feet back underneath you, and, and the first half against USC was about as good as it, it, it could have been. I mean, probably the best half of football that we've seen from uh, Nick Rolovich's team um, over the last couple of years. And then it all just fell apart, really kind of heading into, I guess, the last possession for USC heading into half, and then and then the whole second half, Washington State really, really struggled. Gave up 45 points unanswered, couldn't score, couldn't stop them, 
and now you're kind of left with the same feeling, if not worse, than, than that week one loss to Utah State. So what's going to happen at quarterback? Hard to say. I mean, I think Jaden Delora, uh, who was the backup going into the season behind Jared Garantano, who was the uh, University of Tennessee grad transfer, um, and took over for Garantano when he got hurt in week one, uh, he got nicked up against USC, came out of half with a knee brace on. We're not really sure, honestly, what – uh, what the injury was, uh, Coach Rolovich has said this week that he's he's doubtful that Delore will be able to go, um, and has said that two guys, Garantano coming back off injury, and then uh, obviously former Utah high school superstar Cameron Cooper will be taking reps uh, the bulk of this week. So it's going to be interesting because Cooper was kind of thought to be the third guy throughout, you know, as camp ended, but then he was not the guy to come off the bench when Delora got hurt. That was a uh, walk on Victor Gabalas and, and Gabalas struggled. Um, and Cameron did pretty well when he got his chance versus USC. So it kind of sounds like, uh, uh, between Garantano and Cooper, those two guys are getting ready to go. But again, you never know. We'll have to see. So that would suggest that Washington State needs to lean on the run game, and Max Borgie did not do much against Utah State, and then he broke a really big run that was important in the flow of that game. Uh, can they they count on him? He, he kind of got taken out of the SC game just by the, the score. He ended up with 13 carries, which, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but shouldn't he be like a 20, maybe 25-carry guy? Maybe 25 is too much, but 20 anyway? Oh, I think you're 100% right. And I honestly think that's been a huge issue for Washington State through these three games is Max Borgie not touching the ball enough. Um, even against USC, I think he got 10 touches in the first half and only three in the second. And, and that score, I mean, there was a time where you know, you're within a touchdown or even two and you can lean on a guy like Max Borgie because you alluded to against Utah State, he's kind of a big hitter, right? I mean, he'll rip off a 60-70 yard run if you give him enough touches at some point. I think for Washington State to be successful, they have to lean on Max Borgie and Deion McIntosh. So far through this year, they haven't committed to it. you know. And I think the run and shoot under Nick Rolovich and OC Brian Smith, they want to have balance, but it obviously leans towards being more pass-heavy. Uh, in this scenario, I just don't think you have the horses uh, to be able to throw the football consistently, both quarterback-wise and then you know receiver-wise, they're pretty thin on the outside also. So when you got a guy like Max Borgie, you know he's got to touch the ball, and Dion McIntosh is a close second as far as uh, skill level. So those two guys, I think, if the backs for Washington State have thirty plus touches, carries, or catches, uh, I think Washington State can win this football game. Yeah, and you look at it too. The Utes have suffered a major injury up front defensively, and uh, they had the Bell with San Diego State. They're a run offense, and he had some success. BYU Algier was just, I think, under a hundred. So they've been. They didn't have a big uh, per carry, but anyway, they've been able to move the ball against them on the ground, which is somewhat of a surprise. So uh, I would think that they would come out and run it, uh, uh, Washington State. But I don't know about Rolovich, though. Is it, would he make the commitment that he needs to make to be able to do that? Well, so far, again, through three games this year, you haven't really seen it. Last year, you know, they came out in week one against Oregon State, and Dion McIntosh rushed for almost 150 yards. He right. rushed for almost 100 yards against Oregon. They were, you know, they were pretty committed to it against Utah again in 2020 until Utah uh, really blew the doors off in the second half. But so I think it is in his DNA to do it. I just I'm not honestly sure why it hasn't happened this year. And to be fair, you know, Rolo's not necessarily calling the plays. Brian Smith is, but the the 
I think for them to be successful, as you alluded to, you know, this Utah defense is having its struggles right now um, and is not nearly the unit we have seen it be in, pa- in the past years. And so for Washington State, they have to control the football. And, and you know, whether the Utah offense has caught its stride under Cam Rising or not, you know, uh, we'll see. But I think Washington State has to have more of a ball control mentality than trying to throw it all over the yard. So USC obviously presents problems, but uh, Utah doesn't have London at wide receiver. So, you know, there's that. But they do have Kincaid and Keithy at tight end, and those guys can make plays. Can the Washington State defense match up with those guys and handle tight ends? It's a good question. You know, Washington State's defense, in all honesty, throughout this year, you know, I feel like they've played pretty well. Against Utah State, they played really well and just got kind of worn down at the end by tempo, right? And that's something we've seen, I think we'll see from Utah State throughout this season, them due to teams. But, um, you know, they and against USC, again, they played pretty well other than once they started chucking the ball up to Drake London, who's a tough matchup for anybody. Um, and so, you know, I think what's Utah's going to look at is where USC had some success is both with Drake London and a couple other wide receivers, they ran them kind of down the middle of the field and created matchups on their on Washington State's linebackers. Um, and that would be where Team Tate and Keithy fit in, obviously, uh, when you're watching tape. And so I think Washington State, Washington State will address that issue because so, it was so glaring against USC. But it does lend you to believe that, you know, those tight ends can be tough matchups for Washington State's linebackers who are veterans and talented players, but physically they're not in the same category as, as those two tight ends, in my opinion. So I think that's a place for you know Utah to be able to exploit Washington State. But I will say that the safety position and kind of the nickel position for Washington State is a strength. Armani Marsh at the nickel spot is a really smart, savvy player, veteran. Um, uh, Daniel Isom at the safety position is, is same same spot. So if they get those guys involved, I think that'll help. But then, of course, once you do that, it opens up opportunities on for guys on the outside potentially, and you know that will be where Utah will have to prove if they have the guys you know to take advantage. I'm interested to see what Utah can do in the run game against the Cougars because you look at SC with Graham Harrell; they're a throw-first offense. They bring in Dart off the bench, and he's throwing the ball like crazy, and he's got an old-world receiver. We already talked about him with London, so it made sense to do that. But that's not who the Utes are. And they're more, you know, want to run the ball and then use that to set up with the pass and all that stuff. So you didn't get a really good feel defensively uh, on what Washington State would do against a run team. How do you think they would fare against the Utes who usually want to run the ball? I think Washington State in the front seven will be pretty stout. You know, because USC, although Graham's been a, you know, it it is a version of the air raid, the you know, USC being kind of running back U has forced him to try and run the football. And so he tried. He tried to run the football with, you know, Malapai and, and some of those guys. I mean, they, they have good backs. And Washington State really shut it down. Um, and so even against Utah State, you know, they got a few chunk plays. But for, for the most part, I think the front seven for Washington State is strong against the run. And like you're saying, if, you know, if Utah's going to commit to that and Washington State they can stop it well now it, it limits that playbook a little bit for Andy Ludwig so I, I'm we're going to be really intrigued the one thing that I know coach Ludwig does really well is he's going to scheme some things up that's going to put pressure on Washington State moving sideline to sideline and then trying to hit then trying to hit things downhill um, so we'll see because against Utah State wh- who gets people spread out and goes sideline to sideline Washington State got worn out so I'll be interested to see if coach Ludwig in his own 
system tries to do something similar. It doesn't get that much run because, well, quarterback, offensive line, running back, defensive line, you know, the Utes have had issues in different spots. But the Utes special teams, which used to be very good, have not been good. And Kyle has addressed it. Two kickoff returns for touchdowns, a deflected punt. Uh, they've missed extra points and field goals, and we're only three games in. That's a pretty long list. How is Wazoo in the special teams, and can they take advantage of the Utes there? You know, they, they're good. Uh, Terrell Harris, uh, it, the kick returner, is one of the best in the country. I mean, he's been uh, around for years. He's, he's got a great kickoff return average, has, has returned one in his career for a touchdown and gotten close a couple other times. So he'll put pressure for sure on that kick, kickoff unit uh, for Utah. Washington State replaced uh, a punt, their punter and kicker from last year. Were both great players. Um, so far, punting wise, it's been consistent. Nothing spectacular. Solid. Um, and in the kicking game, again, pretty consistent. Missed a couple. Uh, missed a field goal early in the year against Utah State, but otherwise been pretty solid. And so I think Washington State's solid. No glaring issues. You know, one of the things you'll find with special teams is you never really know you have a problem until <laughs> until it happens, right? I think that's where Coach Whittingham is kind of probably looking, you know, shaking his head a little bit because of how solid they have been. And then, you know, guys, whether it's schematically or effort-wise or just or just flat-out players not making plays, uh, all of a sudden things start popping up and you gotta you got to address them. How fun is it going to be to play a day game, not in the rain? Yeah, it's going to be a little bit of a – I mean, it's going to be probably a change for these these kids a little bit, right? It's pretty early. Uh, you know, the weather was not good in, in Pullman last week. Um, and then the late kick versus Utah State. So, I think in the end it's going to be a nice change. I know for me personally it's a, it makes for a little bit easier travel than those late kicks. I know from the youth's perspective, if they lose this in a 1-3, and three, I mean, all the complaining and uh, – and pain and gnashing of teeth we've heard, it's, it's going to double down and triple down. Is it going to feel the same way if Washington State loses this? Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, there's, I mean, there's obviously a lot of other outside noise, right, that the program's experiencing around Nick Rolovich, so you start adding on-field pressure <laughs> onto that, uh, that snowballs real quick. And so um, I think right now y- you look at it and you say, hey, you lost a tough one to, to Utah State kind of late is what it is. Utah State's clearly a much better team than they were in 2020. Uh, you beat up on Portland State, who you're supposed to beat up on. You lose to USC, who probably going into the year, most people expected you to lose to USC, um, even though you had a good half of football against them. You know, So beating Utah on the road writes, writes some of those wrongs, kind of gets you back in, in the right spot. Um, but losing to Utah now, all of a sudden, those things really start. It start you start wondering kind of how far it slides if you lose to Utah at this point in the season. Well, Alex, we appreciate a few minutes. You enjoy the eighty degree temperatures and the sunshine because sure. who knows when yeah, you'll get you those wait. two things again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. There's Alex Brink talking a little. Cougar football as Washington State gets ready to face Utah. When we come back, Lincoln Kennedy, Raider analyst, Pac-12 Network analyst, will call the Utah game tomorrow. Lincoln's next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. BYU welcomes South Florida to Lavelle Edwards Stadium this Saturday. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game. And then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 6. With the postgame show starting immediately following the game on the Zone Sports Network. (laughs) 
From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. He is on the Smart Rain guest line. Best of State Award winner, Smart Rain, having an end-of-season sale on the Irrigation Smart Controller. Save 50% off each Smart Controller purchase. Offer available to all commercial property zone listeners. Visit SmartRain.net to schedule a demo today. Lincoln, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. What do you guys got going on up there? You got quarterbacks walking off the field and <laughs> quitting. What are you guys doing up there? Well, we've got. I want to get to that with you because uh, I've been uh, I've been stalking you. I've been cyber stalking you, Lincoln. Oh my goodness! Yes, you help me understand what's going on. I there don't live are... in Salt Lake. I don't live in in Utah, and you guys got some stuff going on we... other than, other than it being a dry season, a drought, stuff like <laughs> yeah, that. What, what are you guys doing to the quarterbacks up there? All right, so. You call Raider games, which air on our station. I happen to be in the car, and I want to congratulate you for being a fine analyst and being quiet during the big moments and not wrecking the highlight. Oh, he's a pro. He's a pro. I got in my car like 40 seconds before the ball went over the top, the rugs, and Brent screaming jackpot. And on most broadcasts, there'd be some ex-jock in the background. Oh! Oh! Ah! You know, but no, not you. I was like, that's my guy Lincoln. Disciplined. I like it. It really does make for a better broadcast. He well, talks when he he talks, you talk when you talk. I can actually make sense of what's going on as opposed to two guys screaming over each other. I'm like, well, something exciting happened. Hopefully they'll explain it later when they calm down. Right. Well, we got to act like you've been there before, right? <laughs> right. So the, the fact is that there was, there was one instance with, when the, the touchdown, there, there, was a, there was a touchdown pass to Brian Edwards, and I was looking at, I was looking at Brent when I was saying, are you going to say jackpot? And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, they just scored a touchdown. You're not going to say jackpot? And so we were quiet at that point, and of course it was called back by a penalty, but uh, but but I was like I'm I'm waiting for you to do your thing I'm just going to lay out and let you do your thing but other times it's it, it's it's there where you know like you said you got to act like you've been there before yep <laughs> so I was also watching you because I flipped on the Colorado Minnesota game packed full oh, of curiosity and all that and you <laughs> went after Colorado's O line I was under the distinct impression you were not impressed and I wonder uh, if watching film for the Utes if you were not impressed with their offensive line play well also. you know what I expected more out of the Utes offensive line. No, I was not impressed by Colorado's offensive line because I expected better of them. Um, they could not maintain the integrity of the line of scrimmage. They gave up so much. Um, but with the Utes offensive line in the last couple of games, I, I you know I had a, I had a chance of covering them against Weber State. I thought highly of them going into the season. It's like, oh my goodness, I think they're going to be good. You know, they've always been notoriously uh, historically. Uh, Utes have always had big guys up front and good offenses, a pretty solid offensive line. This, you know, the last two games, I've seen them take a step backwards. And I'm not really sure why. Um, you know, when it comes down to it, it's like I still think Utah is good enough to win the South. Um, I think they are challenging for that. And I think once you get in the league play, obviously this week starting with Wazoo, um, that, that they'll, they'll be able to showcase that. But, you know, going up against BYU, going up against San Diego State, I was just curious to why they, they, they seem to take a couple steps backwards. They weren't as solid as they were before. And I know they've been playing around with it with a few guys here and there and stuff like that. So we're waiting to see if they've got the chemistry right. But look, guys, when it comes to offensive line play, you want to have five guys who've been, been together, 
played together, suffer together, you know, wins, losses, and everything else, um, play with that sort of cohesiveness and continuity. You can't just, it's not interchangeable parts. You know, Minnesota has a pretty special thing when they were playing Colorado because they've got, they, they feel they've got eight offensive linemen that can start at any time. So they've got a rotation. But they use it more, they use their rotation more of a, as a jumble package where they, they'll send in extra offensive linemen who, who serve as tight ends or eligible receivers just to solidify the run game. Um, Utah doesn't have that necessarily uh, a, a, a circumstance. Um, but, you know, to me it's one of those things where you're scratching your head like, why aren't these guys better than they were? So maybe they turn it around this week against Wazoo. Yeah, obviously Rising came in and gave him a lift off the bench. Certainly. You know, I've been around this program. I've been around him to an extent a little bit, and I've always felt like the kids got swag. The players voted him captain. I thought they should have started him. Uh, you want, at least with him, he was a transfer, too, from Texas, yeah. but he came over as a freshman. Right. These guys who come in just for the basically the one and done, they're not really part of the program. They're just here to to showcase their skills and maybe get a look at, at the NFL. And, and we see after three games, he gets benched and boom, he's gone. So he can transfer and try again someplace else. They had it last year with Bentley. I guess it's just the way of the world, and I can complain about it, though, but it, it's probably not going to change, is it? I'm, I've never been a fan of the transfer portal. Um, even when, uh, way back when, um, the last time I did a lot of college football, they had the, the graduate transfers. It, to me, it's amateur free agency. It's nothing more than modern amateur free agency um, because they, they still consider these guys amateurs, whatever. Anyways, um, long story short, uh, I think that there are a lot of guys out there who cannot deal with adversity. When they go to a place, you know, they're promised, you look, when you're being recruited, because I've been through the process, they they make it seem like the game can't go on at our university without you. <laughs> There's no way that we can compete if we don't have you. They make you seem like you are the greatest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> and when you go to a place and then you find that, you know what, hey, there are other guys in front of you, there are probably some guys that are behind you or coming in with you that are going to try to compete for the same starting position, you have one or two options. Well, now it's more so one option because guys are transferring. Oh my goodness, I'm not the starting quarterback. I'm leaving. It's, you know, it, it, it's it is the way of the world right now because you know no one can really seem to deal with adversity, or 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 try to you know what? Okay, this guy thinks he's as good as me. Let me beat him out. Now, when you're talking about the quarterback situation for the youths. It wasn't the fact that, you know, it, it, you know, they made a decision after fall camp. They said it was a close battle. But now that Brewer's been demoted, he comes out, he's being replaced. You know, he's like, oh, you know what, I can't do this. I'm leaving. Just, that's, that's weak to me. Yeah. That really is. It, it really is weak to me. I, I wish that there were more people that would stand in and fight the fight rather than just, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere else. Um, but but it is the way of the world, as you as you mentioned, and unfortunately, I just don't think that you know many kids. It's not just here; it's it's everywhere. It's, right. it, and it's with every sport because you see with basketball, college basketball, you see with college football, guys are just jumping ship trying to go somewhere because they think they have a a leg up to start somewhere else. Well, as you prep for these Ute games, and you've already had two here in the first four, you'll probably have more later this year. Yeah, uh, thank you. Talk to Makai. <laughs> yeah, right. Talk to Makai Bernard because there's a running back who could have left. There are times it looked like, yeah. wow, he's how's he ever going to get on the field? 
Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, crazy things happen. Obviously, the ultimate tragedy with Ty Jordan. Uh, but, you know, Bernard's out there, and he could have easily hit the transfer portal. So you can talk with him and get a, get a different perspective, I think. So as you watch this Utah-Washington State game, we're watching it early in the game. What's the number one thing you were watching to see who's going to win it? A battle of one and two teams and just trying to get back to 500 and get a little momentum. Well, I mean, for Utah, there, there are high expectations because I think they're good enough to challenge for the South. For Wazoo, it's trying to right the ship because right now you've got so much controversy surrounding your head coach and the fact that, you know, you jump out to a double-digit lead on, on USC and then you end up losing getting smashed, um, uh, you know, by a backup quarterback. It's anyone's guess what's going on with Wazoo. So, you know, when I look at this game, I'm looking to see who responds after an, a loss, after you take an L. Um, because, you know, I don't, think, I, I don't think Wazoo has really the staying power to definitely to compete in the, in the pack or, or to compete in the, in the, in the, in the north um, because they just haven't figured it out. I mean, I, I, thought, I thought better of this team when I watched them play Portland State. Just like I thought better of the Utes when I watched them play um, uh, against, uh, you know, against Weber State. I know it's Weber State and I know it's Portland State, but it is what it is. It's it, their games. So now that you get into conference play, I think Utah is in a better position than, uh, say, Wazoo because, you know, Wazoo lost a, not only a conference game, but Wazoo lost a game in certain circumstances where they didn't show up in the second half. And, and it's hard to rebound from that, um, especially when you have to go on the road and take on a Utah. The North sucked a couple weeks back, and then last week the South sucked. And you talk about Utah being in it. You can look at it a couple of ways. Well, they're in it to, to possibly win the thing in the South because of the fact that they're pretty good. Or, gosh, everybody sucks, and so why wouldn't <laughs> they be in it? You know what I mean? There's, yeah. I don't know which way to go. We'll find out in the next couple of weeks. But right now, as I look at the South... I suppose outside of Arizona and Colorado, and I think whoever wins that game, that might be their only win in conference. Right. I think that any of those other four teams could finish first. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm. I'm really not sure what to expect from teams like UCLA or Arizona State. Um, I think USC, for the most part, is still in a quandary because. The coaching decision leaves sort of a flux where you've got guys in that locker room who are looking to other places rather than looking or focusing on the objective at hand, and that's winning. And so I, I still have to see a little bit more sample size to know what, what we can expect from USC. Look, USC always has talent. It's never been a question of whether they have talent. It's whether or not that they can they can put it together and, and make a great team out of it. Um, so I, I think the South is still up in the air. And that's why I, I still think the solid foundation that is that Utah has, that Coach Whittingham has, is is probably the best um, uh, the best product to, to maybe excel and, and separate themselves from the rest of the South. So, turn to the pro game. The Raiders are 2-0, and and they're getting a backup quarterback. Does that matter that much? Do you think they were solid favorites? You felt pretty comfortable, or you don't feel comfortable no matter well, who the Dolphins quarterback I mean, yeah, is? Yeah, you, right? don't, you don't underestimate a, backup, a, a team, even with a backup quarterback, because, look, what Miami is more known for, rather than their offense, as Jacoby Brissett, at quarterback, is the fact that they've got a defense, and they've got a quarterback or a, a coach 
who's a, a coordinator who's who's been creative with his defensive style. And look, last year when these two teams played, I think the Raiders. Uh, I want to say they did six field goals. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. It was quite a few field goals because they struggled once they got in the red zone. Um, Miami's defense uh, hunkered down. So, you know, for what it's worth, when it comes to the Raiders. I know that they're two and all. I know that Derek Carr has had a, a pretty good season so far, but they really don't have a running game. Their offensive line is patched up, you know, kind of put together um, due to injuries and stuff like that. So they're really one-dimensional. And once you get in the red zone, because that area is condensed and and cut short, it's harder to score in that area. So you know, this is not a team. I, I think the Raiders are a team that have to score touchdowns in order to be successful. Their defense is playing better. Don't get me wrong. Their defense is playing a lot better than it has in shoes many years I can remember but um, this is still a team that you can't underestimate uh, and, and, and don't be don't be surprised if Miami comes in and tries to establish the run to keep the Raiders on their heels more importantly put the pressure on their offense to have to pass down the field to keep up yeah, I said last week you know I thought Carr was really rounding into the top of his game and watching him last week I mean I think even more so I mean, I might get, I'm still going to go with Mahomes but yeah. in the AFC uh, to, to me, so far, and it's just a small sample, but I mean, Carr's looking as good as anybody, although I do acknowledge what you're saying. The absence of a running game does have a concern for me. Yeah, because teams are going to start figuring out things. So, you know, the way that I kind of put it into perspective is that the Raiders are using the short passing game and sideline to sideline passing game, much like Oregon did back in the day where they were going sideline to sideline at the high temple. They're using that as their run game. It's an extended run game where you use tunnel screens, you use, you know, flare routes, you use, you know, short out routes and stuff like that. You're using it. That, that, that is the equivalent of getting your running game started because they don't have one. Yeah. So Darren Waller famously targeted 19 times in the opener, a more yeah. reasonable seven in the second game. But is he the safety blanket? Are they going to go back to him when it really matters and the seven was just kind of a one-off? Yeah, well, here's the thing. If you recognize, if you know anything about Derek Carr, whenever he sees that he's got isolated coverage or one-on-one coverage with Darren Waller, especially when he's split out wide to either side, he's going to go to him. And especially when they have a single high safety. What Derek learned from week one to week two, for example, the Baltimore Ravens bracketed Darren Waller. And they, they, they made sure, they didn't really show it. It wasn't obvious until you look at the film. So I think that's one of the reasons why he didn't go back to him as much in the Pittsburgh game. Because he knew Pittsburgh was going to do the same thing. Mika Fitzpatrick had his eye on number 83 wherever he was on the field. And that's how he got burned by the Ruggs touchdown. Um, because he was thinking that they were going to go to Waller on that third down. Um, but I will say this, it, it's good for the Raiders, it's good for Derek Carr to be able to notice that there are other receivers on the field. And they used their 13 personnel, their three tight end personnel, really well. He threw it to the other tight ends on some seam routes and some open uh, uh, go routes and stuff like that, as well as spread the ball around with Edwards and Rugs and so on and so forth. So that's a good sign because the Raiders do have multiple weapons. I think Derek was focused on or zeroed in on Darren Waller in week one almost to a fault. And it was fortunate enough they were able to win because there were a couple of throws 
that if they would have went just just a little bit the other way, would have been turnovers, and that might have been disastrous. So um, it's good that they're spreading the ball around. And most definitely, I think it's good for Gruden to take notice of it because going forward, until they figure out this run game scenario or how they can get this run game going, um, he's got to spread the ball around and utilize all his other receivers. Wonder what you think of the Steelers. Obviously, they have been so good for so long. Big Ben's getting older, and are they still a legitimate contender, or they got to get through him playing it out and reload? I was over Big Ben three, four years ago, to be honest with you guys. But one thing I will tip my hat to: Mike Tomlin, the head coach of the Steelers, has been a pillar of consistency. They found ways to win and make themselves credible. This offense for the Steelers, they don't have a running game, okay? The offensive line, and, and my son plays for the damn team, uh, it, the offensive line is in, in, in serious trouble. Um, they don't have any consistency up front. They have a hard time protecting big men, uh, and they have a hard time of being able to do anything other offensively than their short passing game. And what the Raiders noticed, especially in the first half of that Steelers game, is that Ben wanted to go with stop routes, hitch routes, you know, really quick routes. And when they took that away, he really had no he, – he, it, was, it was all of a sudden became 50-50 balls. Long story short to your question, I think the Steelers' offense is in trouble. And the fact that T.J. Watt left the game with a, with a groin injury, who knows how long he's going to be out with for. Uh, Melvin Ingram, who's replaced him, is not the same – player, impact player that T.J. Watt is. So the defense loses a little bit of their teeth. And they've got other injuries with Devin Bush, Joe Hayden, who's been playing the Raiders game. I think they are, they're still going to be competitive once they get those guys back. But in the interim, it's going to be hard for the Steelers to generate points. More importantly, it's going to be hard for the Steelers to get off the field defensively. You know, there's a uh, healthy debate raging between Bronco and Raider fans about whether Salt Lake is really a Bronco town or a Raider town. But oddly, the team that's on, not oddly, the team that's on every week is the Bucks. Both the Raiders and Broncos have not been on TV already. Is that right? The Bucks are on all the time because of Tom Brady. You're saying the, the Bucks stop here? Exactly. <laughs> oh, de- oh, 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 gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it gets worse than that, Lincoln. We try oh. to behave when you're on. There's oh. been a lot of crimes, <laughs> crimes committed against radio in your absence, trust me. Uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, that defense, is that uh, a championship-level defense? They've given up a lot of points through two games. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Uh, you know, it, I've always thought in my history of playing this game, I always thought it was a crime that the quarterback and the head coach get way too much praise when things go right and way too much blame when things go wrong. It's a team game. You know, you can't, you can't convince me that Tampa could go into Green Bay the quarterback can throw three interceptions and still walk out of there with a win if they didn't have a good defense. Defense is one. The defense won last year's Super Bowl for him. I know what Brady did with the touchdowns he threw. Okay, I get it. And I know where he's at. I'm not trying to take away from his shine. But the thing is that stands apart, especially with that team when I look at them, is the fact that their front four can get pressure. They can generate pressure with the guys up front. They don't have to blitz. And then the fact is the, the, the overall scheme of that defense negates a lot of things offensively that you can do. And that's, that's what took away from the Kansas City Chiefs last year. 
You know, but even Patrick Mahomes trying to extend plays with his legs, you know, he threw one pass where he hit one of his guys in, in the face mask, and he dropped it. I mean, <laughs> you can't sit there and tell me that that was Brady's doing or, you know, that was, that, was a, the, that offense. But so, I, you know, when it comes down to it, I think that it is a championship-caliber defense. And one thing I would definitely tip my hat for to, and unfortunately have to, is the fact that they were able to keep their entire team together. And uh, after winning a Super Bowl, I don't remember if that's ever been done before. You know what I mean? And so, you know, they, they, they had, they're coming back, and they're just as strong as ever. And, look, if they don't lose this week against the Rams, I have a hard time figuring out when they're going to drop one. They could very well go through the season unscathed. Wow, I got the schedule in front of you, and I had not considered that until you said it. In a quick scan, I see what you're talking about. Yeah. Somebody will probably get them, but... Well, somebody probably will. But I mean, still, you know, But yeah. at the same point, Brady and the Patriots went uh, undefeated until they, what, faced the Giants in the Super Bowl? Yep, it could happen. All right, we'll leave it right there. Lincoln, we appreciate it. We will see you on the uh, Ute game on Saturday afternoon, and then we'll hear you on the Raider game after that. I certainly appreciate it. And in and, and the interim, tell your fans up there in Utah that I'm sorry they're not seeing anything other than Bucks games. it's the nfl come on you're seeing you got six games a week you can see before you even buy the ticket so yeah exactly (laughs) that's why the bucks keep ending up there in all these primetime games all right thanks a lot we appreciate it all right guys be well talk to you soon there's lincoln kennedy pac-12 network analyst and raider analyst and when we come back all the headlines what is trending coming up next your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? ready. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag NFL. First and goal from the five. Panthers going left to right. Here's McCaffrey. No, it's a fake. Darnold keeps it and will score. Carolina leads six to nothing on the slick ball handling by QB 14. Three tight ends, one fullback in the personnel grouping. Darnold ready for the snap. Quarterback sneak being pushed from behind. No signal yet. Touchdown. Carolina Panthers. Carolina Panthers are 3-0 after beating the Houston Texans. 24 to 9. Sam Darnold throws for 304 yards. He runs for two scores. PK, you leave the Jets, you suddenly look a lot better. Sam Darnold was supposed to be all that. It's early and the Texans aren't great, but can't complain with a 3 0 start. The Saints would be their big win. The other two, you really ought to get. They're bad opponents. I agree with that. You know, we obviously, obviously we watched Sam Darnold play. He made his first start in Rice Eccles Stadium. In college on a rainy Friday night, I think it was in September, end of September, if I remember correctly, and I thought it was really good. I'm not a quarterback savant by any stretch, you know, and the Jets are a mess for sure, and maybe we'll look back in three or four years and think, wow, they really gave up on him too soon, and that just adds an extra burden for Zach Wilson to be able to achieve. He's not only got to compete against himself to be good, compete while the Jets to be good, everybody in the AFC East and the NFL. But in New York, certainly they're going to be watching to see what Sam Darnold does because obviously it was the trade was, in a sense, they traded him to the Carolina Panthers, but it was a trade of Sam Darnold for Zach Wilson. Yeah, I wonder if they gave up on him too early or if now he just has a good coaching staff and better teammates, and that's the difference. 
Well, you know, it's his third year, too. Though, yeah, it could, and it could be that. Yeah, it could be that. Christian McCaffrey hurt his hamstring. He had to leave the game. The first-round pick, corner J.C. Horn out of South Carolina, eighth pick in the draft. High hopes for him. He broke his foot. So you got to figure he's out until at least midseason with a broken foot. So a, uh, a price to be paid for the Panthers. But they are off to a 3-0 start. Only seven teams made it to 2-0, and they are the first to 3-0. Game of the weekend. Well, Bucks and Rams are both 2-0. That's the afternoon game in Fox's doubleheader. So we'll uh, see the unbeatens drop to 6. We'll see a second team get to 3-0. We'll see what happens with some of these other teams. But that looks like an awfully good game in the Fox doubleheader there, Bucks and Rams. So you're eliminating the possibility of a tie, huh? I am going to rule that out, yes. Okay. Sunday night football. Packers and Niners. Green Bay blown out in that first game by the Saints. It did subsequently lose to the Panthers. Then they dominated the Lions in the second half, but you're supposed to dominate the Lions at home. So see what the Packers do with the Niners. The Niners are off to a 2-0 start. So one of the teams we can check on to see if they get to 3-0. Tom Brady's personal trainer, Alex Guerrero, said Patriots coach Bill Belichick never evolved in how he treated the star quarterback factor that contributed to Brady's exit in 2020. Said he was treating Tom in his late 30s or 40s like he was still in his 20s. It's a soap opera, PK. We're going to dump on Belichick here. Yes. Sounds like a soap opera to me. How about we just look at that combination and say, wow, that was wildly successful and just leave it at that. Ran its course. It happens. Yeah, there'll be a time I'm done with you, but we're not there yet. Thank goodness. (laughs) <laughs> Dolphins and Raiders. Raiders are 2-0. Jets and Broncos. Broncos are 2-0. Jets and Broncos, the afternoon game on CBS. They only get one game. And that's a game you'll see on CBS. It'll be chance, one more chance to see Zach Wilson and see if the Jets can get something going. DJ and PK. Hashtag Utah State. The Aggies, improbably 3-0, but 3-0 and brimming with confidence after all these come-from-behind wins. And here comes Boise State. 10 a.m., Scotty G. Got to finish uh, breakfast at Angie's in Logan early because he's on the call at 9 a.m. with the pregame show here on The Zone. CBS TV, Channel 2 has the TV, and Scotty will have the call here on The Zone at 10 o'clock. Huge, huge game for the Aggies. And it's a great start, and it's a great start whether they win or lose this game. But, man, if they win this game, it is on, PK. 4-0, 2-0 in league, beating the perennial big dog in this division. It'd be huge. Yeah, would they change that deal deal up there? It's Maverick Stadium now? Yep, it's Maverick Stadium. That thing better be rocking for sure, man. This is a huge game. The weather should be good. Uh, No excuses. Not late at night now. It's the other side of the coin. But, uh, to me... So what? I mean, I know some kids, they got some kids' games and all, and obviously your kids come first in that situation, but there should be plenty of folks who are not involved in that situation right now, and that thing should be just an incredible environment, a real opportunity to sell what Blake Anderson has accomplished, accomplishing so far on a much broader scale than they've done. Now the football team's got to go ahead and do it, and really interested to see and I don't want to say wow this is the test we find out how good this team is I think that's too strong to say right there I don't think we can say that I think they've been proving it all along that they're a good team certainly better than we expected 
So I'm not going to put all my eggs in that proverbial basket of saying, well, this will show us for sure. Uh, I think that's unfair. I think you have to look at your body of work. You know, it's like the same thing with the Cougars. Well, they beat the Utes. They're really good. Okay, at that time they were, but this is a progression. Nevertheless, I agree with you 100%. This is a gigantic game. I'm way excited for it. Scott. Scotty G tweeting out yesterday, cool story coming out of Logan. Anonymous donors purchased a high majority of the available remaining tickets to the USU-BSU game. Those tickets will be given to local elementary schools to allow kids and their families to attend Saturday's game. So you wanted a rockin' stadium, PK. That anonymous donor just went a long way And, and I don't that. want any credit for it, so let's just Attic. keep it anonymous. <laughs> nice. DJ and PK. Hashtag Utah. Just play with swagger. I think this is a team that has athletes from top to bottom, running back room, receiver room, tight end room, O-line room. We got everything that we need on this team right now and just making sure that we go out there and play with swagger from the get-go. That is Cam Rising utilizing your favorite word. You've teamed up with him, PK. Team effort. You've inspired him. Actually, he inspired me. You should run out onto the field either in front of him or side-by-side with him when the game starts. No, I'll be like that. Who was that drum major a couple weeks ago? Came rolling. Oh, out Ohio tunnel. State, yeah. Oh, just did a bit of took a header, caught, caught an edge, <laughs> I caught a skate. I gotta, I gotta give it. That was pretty embarrassing in front of the stadium and all that. But that kid hit, drop and roll, pop up. The show must go on. Well, yeah, when you're younger. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I don't want Dr. Petron oh, having their. Uh, oh, uh, my shoulder. Yeah, I don't want Dr. Petron having to uh, attend to me there before the game. <laughs> Doc, pop it back in. I can go. <laughs> the big old drop and roll for that drum major. And and the season is early enough, and this quarterback change, whether it's a false hope or not, remains to be seen. But I believe it's really breathed a new, a new start, new beginning into the team. You know, it comes at this time when they're done with the non-con, and now it's the conference season, and so we'll see if he can do it. Now, the opponent isn't that good, obviously, so he should be able to do it, and, and I think he will. And one victory, man, because of where it is right now, under the circumstances with a new quarterback, it really changes the complexion of the team. Not necessarily the season, because that remains to be seen. But I'm talking about the team and what the team needs specifically to itself. And I think Rising, particularly if he looks good, will have that opportunity to really change the mood and everything around the football facility right now. And it's too strong to say there's a dark cloud because it's too early. Uh, I don't think it's too, it's too strong. Uh, it's a it's dark too, cloud. It hasn't dropped a ton early. of rain and flooded the building. <laughs> but there's a dark cloud. It may blow away with no long-lasting damage. Believe me, I know all about Hurricane Ida. And <laughs> it's, it, it's not that yet. Whereas if they win, man, this is going to be sunny skies. I think the thing that's a verifiable fact amidst all of this speculation, and that's really all we can do is speculate, but the thing that's a verifiable fact, I do think he'll pump up the team. They voted him captain. Basically, coaches, you start whoever you start because you're the coaches. And they decided to start the other guy, but the players picked him. And Morgan Scally said a long time ago, you don't know what goes on in the building at 530. You're right. The players do, and they voted Cam a captain for a reason. 
Whatever his quarterback skills, his leadership skills are there. He's been in the program three years. They knew who they were voting for, and they voted for him. And that counts for something. Now, it may not count for enough against the USC's and Oregon's of the world, but I'm expecting it to count for enough against one and two Washington State. Your pregame show will begin at 10.30. The game will kick off 12.30 on the Pac-12 network. So with the Aggies at 10 and then the Utes will kick off pretty much as the Aggies go to the fourth quarter, uh, you'll have local college football all the way to 4 p.m. DJ and PK. Hashtag BYU. Jaron Hall mentioned in the press conference at the end of last week that he would be practicing this week. Has he been, has he been practicing this week? Lonnie is the only one that'll talk about injuries, but... Um. Yeah, he's out there. <laughs> Aaron Roderick. You expecting to see Jaron Hall when three and O BYU plays the University of South Florida? USF is one and two. Are you asking me specifically? I am asking you specifically. Yeah, he'll be out there playing or out there. Ah, I see what I did. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yes, I exactly. <laughs> played. Sir. Yeah. Well played. I divined perfectly what you did. <laughs> Well, they I have a good enough reporting. quarterback. They have a good enough quarterback, backup quarterback, yeah. and they have a yeah. good enough team. And they're at home against what looks like a lesser team. They're not just one and two, but they were blown out by NC State in Florida. I'm not reporting, but I believe Baylor's going to play. But this is not me reporting because I don't want to get into their injuries. You ask me a question, I'll give you an answer. I'm not reporting. I don't know uh, because I want to respect what they want as far as injuries and that's what they want and i think we should respect that and so in this situation plus as you just say i don't think it's that big of a deal nope i think it's a talk to me next week you know that's another story but i think romney can go in there you know as long as they have uh, the line and algier and everything else in the offense and I don't think anybody else is banged up. The other Romney has been dealing with stuff, but he's managed to get himself out there, which is really good because he's had an injury history, too, that I think has prevented him from really being able to flourish at BYU. So, so far, he's been able to play through it, and that's good for him and the team. Uh, but I think Baylor Romney is very much capable. But I'm going to respect them. I'm not reporting who's going to start the quarterback, but I think Romney's going to play. There's been enough smoke around it. I, I expect it's yeah. Romney, uh, yeah. but I just don't think it matters. Whichever guy starts, I'll pick BYU to win that game. They are a 23-point favorite, and they ought to they get it done. 8-15 on ESPN2. Cougar pregame show, 6 p.m. JCW's in Provo. You going to be there getting a burger there, uh, Yach? Yes, sir. Nice. Play Stop by wrapped. and say hi to Yach. Say hi to Hans Olsen. 6 o'clock, JCW's in Provo. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. I wish the media would stop upsetting Coach Saban by saying that this is a weak team or got weaknesses. And I mean, let's, they went on the road into a top 10 team into the swamp and won with a freshman quarterback, got an early lead and hung on at the end. And now all of a sudden, you know, it's not a good team and they got weaknesses and can't stop people. So that don't really help us a lot being around there, um, knowing how that place works. So Lane Kiffin thinks the media is too critical of Alabama, and Nick Saban thinks the media is rat poison praising Alabama. Man, I don't know why the media sucks, but clearly it does, PK. Ah, it's just a bunch of nonsense. Funny thing is, Lane's team isn't even playing Alabama this week. That's next week. 
Alabama's got one of those gimme games. They are 45-point favorites over Southern Mississippi this week. Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud will be the emergency backup for Ohio State tomorrow when the Buckeyes take on Akron. He rests a shoulder injury. Jack Miller and Kyle McCord will split time as Ohio State beats up on Akron. Jackson Dart out of Roy in Corner Canyon. USC freshman underwent surgery to repair a meniscus injury suffered in the Trojans' win over Washington State last week. He's out indefinitely, according to reports. So Slovis will get the start for USC against Oregon State. That ends that quarterback debate. They just run the guy out there who's healthy, PK. Uh, well, I'll see about that other kid, though. The other kid was a five-star, four-star, ten-star. So uh, Slovis needs to play well. That's the most important thing for him and the team right now. But sucks for Dart, but obviously he'll have his day. 12th-ranked Notre Dame, 18th-ranked Wisconsin, 10 a.m. on Big Fox. Two ranked teams going at each other. Texas A&M and Arkansas, that's number 7 versus number 16, is on CBS at 1.30 after the Utah State game. Other games to keep an eye on, Iowa State-Baylor, future Big 12 battle right there, PK, and BYU plays Baylor later this year. That's 1.30 on Fox. Okay. Who do you like, UCLA or Stanford? 4 o'clock on the Pac-12 networks after the Ute game. Well, I've been uh, partial Stanford, so I'm not sure who's going to win that game. But just as a fan perspective, I'd pick Stanford. I like Shaw. UC Davis is at Weber State on KJAZ at 6 o'clock. Eastern Washington's at SUU, 6 o'clock on ESPN+. Plus. That's your local FCS action. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Lakers GM Rob Palenka telling reporters he expects the entire Laker roster will be fully vaccinated against COVID when they open the season against the Warriors. Chicago Bulls star Zach Levine said he was pleased by the aggressive offseason the franchise had, and he knows this season is critical for the team and himself as he enters the final year of his contract. At the end of the day, it's a business. He did what was best for the team, and I'll continue to go out there and do what's best for the team as well. This season going forward is going to be extremely critical, not just for me, but for everybody. Winning would take care of everything. Decade of agony for Bulls fans there, PK. Maybe this will be the year. I expect them to be far more competitive, yes. I agree with Zach. NBA officials will be on the lookout to eliminate instances of players going out of the way to warp the way the game is refereed. NBA Senior Vice President Monty McCutcheon, Head of Referee Development and Training. We want basketball to be played, not manipulated. Kicking out the legs, flailing the arms, looking for free throws. Going sideways into guys. Yes. Nobody is thinking I'm going to buy a ticket tonight. I'm going to see some really good free throws. Said nobody ever. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. A swing, and there's a drive. Deep left center field. See you later. That's a home run. Home runs and back-to-back at-bats for Goldschmidt. The Cardinals lead by three. Here's the pitch from Leon. Victor swings, ground ball up the middle. Diving stop, Listella coming home. No chance. Profar scores, and the Padres win it. Victor Caratini with a walk-off infield single in the bottom of the 10th inning. They win this game 7-6. Padres beat the Giants 7-6, a rare loss for the Giants as the Padres avoid the sweep. The Dodgers get a homer from Max Muncy in the 10th, so the Dodgers are now one game behind the Giants. They have both clinched playoff berths. 
Giants still trying to get to 100 wins. They're stuck on 99. The Dodgers are at 98. Both are going to have awesome totals, and somebody's going to be in the wild card. Playing the Cardinals, apparently, because they won again. That is 12 in a row. Their longest win streak since their 1982 World Series team. They were down 5-1 to the Brewers and rallied to win 8-5 as Goldie goes deep twice. Well, it turns out Ted Simmons is walking through that door. You know, <laughs> in the Hall of Fame there. And I disagree with that Padre call. I don't think that was a walk-off single. I think that was a walk-off fielder's choice. Ah, the old walk-off FC. White Sox have also clinched a playoff berth. The White Sox and Rays are in in the American League as the uh, the other berths they continue to battle for. Bees beat Sacramento 8-5. Same two teams tonight. 6.35, get your tickets at slbs.com. Steve Clocky has a call in the zone beginning at 6.20. Hashtag RSL. RSL's hot. Winners of back-to-back games, three out of four. Portland's even hotter. Four out of five, 13 points out of 15. They're unbeaten in their last five. Separated by one game in the playoff race. They play in Portland Saturday night at 8.30. If RSL wins, they vault into fifth, maybe fourth, depending on what the Galaxy do. So, big game for RSL. Three games in eight days getting underway with the game in Portland. Well, they win this. I think they've got to just cement Pablo as the permanent coach. And I I am not going to rest until that happens. All right. Everybody meet at Jack in the Box. We're going to work on Pablo's new deal. Guy from Thunderbird. <laughs> I did mention. I've never Jack met him, but I love him. I did mention Jack in the Box to him uh, as he was going up the tunnel. Time to go to Jack in the Box, Coach. His turn got the side eye look and the little sly grin on the side. Yeah, he's got good memories. Good memories of that Jack in the Box. You can do that when they win. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Five to one. No Jack in the Box references. No, 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 no. Nope, no. nope, nope. But they haven't had that, so I've been able to reference Jack in the Box. DJ and PK. I never said it was negative. Y'all spun that that way. I never said it was negative. I said it was different. Like I said, I've never played any of these team events. I didn't play Walker Cup, didn't play Junior Ryder Cup, never played anything. So I said it's different, and that doesn't mean it's bad. Y'all spun it that way. Brooks Kepka going all Aaron Rodgers and Lane Kiffin on the media. Y'all spun that. Okay, the problem with that, he can dump on the media, and everybody loves to do that. Nick Saban, did y'all play sports? No, Coach, we, we didn't even play t-ball. Uh, but Azinger went after him on that. So instead of the slobs, how about addressing one of your own? Because when he came out and said that, if you recall, Azinger said, well, maybe I'm paraphrasing, but maybe he shouldn't play. If that's the way he feels. So how about you address what Paul said rather than some no, dong who writes. I'm going to rip on a golf rider who's probably yeah. got a 14 <laughs> handicap and probably yeah, cheats yeah. too. 14 is not bad though. <laughs> a 24 handicap. I was going to say now, 20 now plus probably yeah, okay. good. Yeah, now we're getting up there. <laughs> Brooks Kepka, by the way, paired with uh, Berger, beating Westwood and Fitzpatrick out of the gate at the Ryder Cup. They are two up through three two holes. Up. Yeah. Patrick Cantley and Xander Shoffley are one up on Poulter and McElroy. Other Johnson Morikawa are one, one down against Casey and Hoblin. The pride of West High, Tony Finau, not playing here as the Ryder Cup gets underway. The pride of Utah. <laughs> and Arizona. 
Everybody's going to claim no. you. No. No, Arizona no, doesn't I, I, care. No, because they got a lot of people who live there. Yeah, no. I, I think it's more, and we only have uh, right now just one, right? Because Summer Haze isn't playing on the tour. Summer Haze is on the Corn Ferry Tour, same with right. Fishburn from BYU. Right. So we only have one guy regularly on the PGA Tour right now, and obviously Mike Weir is on the seniors or champions, as they call them. All right, Ryder Cup, three days of golf starting today. The U.S. is up in two, down in one, and all square in the fourth right now as they get underway. What is trending? Man, there's a lot of stuff trending on a Friday morning. It's a football Friday. What is trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. David Locke, radio voice of the Jazz, coming up next. Jazz Media Day is Monday. Training camp kicks off in Vegas Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Thursday. David Locke next, Chris Torello, sports reporter for Bay 9 News and Spectrum Sports 360 in Tampa, Florida. He covers USF. He'll be here at 8.05. DJ and PK, it's 97.5, 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Jaron Hall got the wind knocked out of him, according to him, but there's probably a little tough guy talking there. So what do they do with him for this weekend in a game in which the Magic Vegas predicting wizard has him winning by 65? 23. What do you do with Jaron Hall? If he's got injured ribs, then you don't play him because he probably can't perform up to snuff anyway. The mighty Bulls of South Florida, their defense is barely existent. Maybe that's an arrogant attitude to take, but it's something you have to take into consideration when planning out the future of your schedule. If you think you have the opportunity to make a little bit of a run here, you got to think about that stuff. You can be conservative. I do believe that because you should beat this team no matter what. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it is time to welcome in David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. Media Day Monday, camp gets going in Vegas Tuesday. David Locke's weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. And David joins us now on the Smart Rain guest line. Best of State Award winner Smart Rain is having an end-of-season sale on the irrigation smart controller. Save 50% off each smart controller purchased. Offer available to all commercial property zone listeners. Visit smartrain.net to schedule a demo today. David Locke, good morning. Are you packing for Vegas? Nope. Nope. No training camp for you, huh? I don't think anyone's going. I don't think there's any media going. It's a chance for the team to get away and bond. Right. Exactly. 100%. Can you guys get another good week of sports talk? I got to tell you. Hope your ratings are good. You should have been given a lot of good stuff on a platter this month. Uh, I've been told that as much as we check the ratings, we have to check the streaming numbers. People's habits have how changed. The, how are the streaming numbers? Uh, Scotty told me Wednesday they were awesome. <laughs> so, oh, they should be. Yeah, I, just, actually, I mean, it's really teams are winning. Well, I'm actually a pretty good example because I got a lot of stuff going on. But there have been a lot of things recently where I've like flipped on and taken, you know, gone to twelve eighty thezone dot com, or and you know started to listen to a listen to a show, or listen to an opener show to hear what you guys think because there's just been so many interesting topics. Is there any particular reason they chose Vegas? Because uh, beyond, I mean, it's an attractive city, but I was wondering if there's any marketing reason because they could have chosen any number of places. Um, well, I think there's like three teams in San Diego, so that's probably eliminated that. No. Um, I think the Nets and like the Clippers and somebody else are all in San Diego. Um, I think, uh, I don't know if it, I don't know if it has anything. I, I don't. Um, uh, I know that They've gotten great support. Um, 
I saw a picture of the court set up there. It's like super cool. Um, they've done a really great job. So, you know, they, they probably had some support mechanism, but I don't, you know, did Donovan want to go to Vegas? Like, you know, the Lakers went to Hawaii because Magic wanted to go to Hawaii. So, um, you know, probably something there. Brian Smith, you know, is from Vegas. Could be something there, though. I just don't have a feeling that it's like a big PR thing in the way it has been in some years past. I think it's simply get exactly what David said a moment ago is let's see if we can get these guys away. Let's address what happened in, you know, L.A. in game six and let's, you know, rebond together and be the team that was the number one seed and had a real chance to win it last year and see if we can get that kind of chemistry and magic back between us. I read that Houston went to the Bahamas, and now you tell me three teams are going to San Diego. It sounds like if you want to be the stick-in-the-mud team, you better give your guys a trip somewhere. Right. Even, even I mean, if the guys with families don't really want it because they want to be home with their kids, <laughs> most players do want it. They probably do want it. The ones with the kids might want it, too. That's um, a good point. Okay. Um, you know, if you really look at the schedule, there's three training camps. So there's this four-day thing to start. And then they go and play two games, and then they're home for four days, and then they play two games, and then they're home for five or six before they play a home game to start the season. So, you know, if you're Quinn and you're looking at that, like, okay, well, the, let's let's look at part one. And you don't have any roster moves, right? There's, like, I guess the one roster battle is, like, whether Jared Butler or Trent Forrest plays when Mike Conley doesn't. That's about it, right? Right. Did you Thank need you. that? Did you, did you need I that? I did. I thought I you needed just... that. It was not like using right as a period. It was a question. I was making sure I hadn't forgotten anything. Um, so, you know, if I'm Quinn and I'm looking at this, I'm probably taking the first three days to do exactly what they're doing. Let's get away. Let's get together. Let's remind everyone that we like each other. Let's deal with some demons that are left over from playoffs past, and let's move on. Then I'm probably using, you know, the second one we've played two games and see some things and there's some, you know, I've talked to coaches and there's some belief on how teams are going to play them this year and what they're going to have to do to adjust. And, and so there's that. And then there's the real get ready for the season stretch, which is probably a little bit, you know, conditioning and using the four games as conditioning and then probably amping up the conditioning in the last little bit. So you're ready for the season. So uh, that's kind of my take on how I would probably go through these three games. I'm sure they're doing something a little different, but there's three really mini training camps for them to have right now. I don't want to call them issues, but maybe things as to follow up on what you were saying, maybe involving the center spot. Uh, are we sure that Whiteside is in over Azubuke? And also, how much do you think they would try Rudy Gay at the five? Those are a couple things that came to my mind. So, yeah, I think um, I think you're, those are great. And so, um, you know, in those 14 minutes a night in which Rudy isn't playing, you know, how are we going to play? I think – the first is, you know, can Whiteside engage and have a good experience? And, you know, he, I saw him the other day. He's just really huge, right? Like, I saw Rudy Gay and I saw Whiteside both recently. Rudy Gay, to me, looks like Derek Favors. Like, I'm not sure they size-wise are that different. I saw Whiteside, oh, my goodness gracious. Like, there's a huge difference between – the size of Hassan Whiteside and the size of Derek Favors. So I think there's a chance that he could really be a valuable piece of this if they can get the Portland Hassan Whiteside for 14 minutes. Now, you know, he's got little things. He's got, but I also would say Hassan Whiteside's been a league a long time. He's really good, but also watching the greatest defensive player in the world every day can't hurt him. 
you know, his one weakness is that, he, and I think he's dealt with it as early in his career as a jumping jack, but every single time someone pump faked, he went for it. And, you know, he would, I think he blocked like four shots a year, game one year to lead the league. He probably allowed 13 layups for that too. So, you know, there's, but Rudy, think about Rudy, like Rudy almost never jumps, right? Like you never see Rudy have that happen to him. Well, does that, does Hassan pick that up? So I think Hassan could be really valuable. I think the Rudy Gay at the five is something we can see over time, and it'll be interesting for them to do it. Um, it, There's some assumptions to it, like, you know, Joe's now sliding to the four some of the time, which might be fine, might be a good spot for Joe to play. Um, You know, that would, I guess, be a training camp story. Like, if Jared Butler's really can play, can you then slide Joe off the ball a little bit more and let him play stretch four and do some things that are probably better for him at this age in his career, even though he likes to have the ball in his hands, Um, and he's really good at it. Um, so those, I guess, little subtle things, but I think those are all going to materialize 25, 30 games into the season as much as anything else. Um, but, I, yeah, I hear you on those. Um, I do also think we've overplayed those conversations a tiny bit because we don't have anything else to talk about because it's really talking about 14 minutes a night, and the chances of us closing a game without Rudy Gobert on the floor, I hope, are zero. So what we should be talking about then is what has Donovan added to his game? How is 100%. he going to become even better because I'm I'm looking at some of these preseason rankings, and I get that it's a <clears throat> it's subjective. It's somebody's opinion. It's based more on what people have seen in the past and what they expect this season. So there's all that stuff. But when I don't see a Jazz player ranked in the top 15, I think, uh oh, how far are you going in the playoffs if you don't have one right. of the top 15 players in the NBA? Yeah, I mean, I think that I had the same reaction. I, I was a little surprised, and I I try really hard not to be a homer. Um, and obviously we watch these guys every day. I, I was a little surprised by both SI's and ESPN's rank. I, I, like, to call it disrespectful, I think is too strong. But, like, they certainly didn't get the benefit of the doubt. Is that fair? Like, Rudy in the 20s, come on now. He's, like, the greatest defensive player in the game. His team was the number one defensive team in the league when he was on the floor. And when he was off the floor, we were in the 23rd percentile. Like, there's not a player in the league that has a bigger impact on a game on one side of the floor than what Rudy has right now defensively. To rank him in the 20s, holy crap. Like, it just – and we have the best record in the league. I get it that in a playoff series, the Clippers figured out how to negate his value by taking advantage of the fact that none of our guys at the time could guard. But to drop him on, like, I think he was in the mid-20s, right? Like, wow. Like, to me, that's just really short-sighted and – I mean, I guess the only thing we're going to care about is, like, what happens in the playoffs. But I'm not, I will rewatch that second half. That's not on Rudy. Like, certainly the entire strategy by the Clippers was to negate Rudy and eliminate him from the play as much as possible, which is exactly why he's not 25th in the league. He's clearly, like, top 15, top 10. If a team's entire game plan was to eliminate Rudy, both offensively and defensively, the problem was we didn't have the personnel to cover it. Not that Rudy was a problem. It was that we didn't have the problem to cover it. I mean, it's a little bit like triple-teaming step three and not allowing him to get a shot off, and then when everyone else on the team misses shots, blaming step three. It's 100% exactly what people are doing to Rudy. It's a joke. With guys like Conley and Joe getting up there, do you think there's going to be a concerted effort to manage minutes? I do on Mike. I, I think we'll see. I can't imagine we're going to – they tried really hard last year and did the, you know, very rarely played a back end of a back-to-back and 
and um, and a, you know all this, and then the hamstring still became a problem. So I, I can't really imagine that we're going to say, well, the answer is to play you more. But maybe, right? Like, I mean, frankly, there's been a, I've had a conversation with a with a someone who thinks that actually, you know, one of the problems in the league is that they actually get these like larger spans off. That you're better off having players play every other day all the time and if they do that they'll actually stay healthier because they're staying at peak performance um you know the fact is that um i i would say that you would ex- i would expect that mike doesn't play back-to-backs I, the, the thing that's really interesting our schedule i don't know if you guys have talked about this if you actually look at our back-to-backs our back in the back-to-backs are like almost universally on the road against the best in the league like, I think we do a back end in Brooklyn. We do a back end in Philadelphia. We do a back end in Milwaukee. We do a back end in L.A. for against the Lakers. We do a back end in Denver. Like, Nate, and it's and they're all on the road. Like, their games, you're just very limited chance to win anyway. So my feeling is, like, let's play Mike on the front end of all of those, win that one, and then if we don't get the next one, who cares? I know they're fun for the fans, but in the realm of the schedule, winning in Houston and winning in Oklahoma City and winning against, like, you know, San Antonio is actually more important than, like, winning in Denver. I know winning in Denver, like, validates you and makes you feel good, but it's actually not a game that you're probably yeah, have better than a 20% chance to win. Wouldn't you have a much better chance to win those first games without Conley and have them available in the second game? Yeah, I would, but I would never want to decrease the chance of winning the, that those games. Those are those are the ones. If you lose them, you can't get them back in the standings. So when you see the Jazz, fifty-five wins is the Vegas number. Do you think that's right? Is, is fifty-five that what now? you're thinking? I thought it was at fifty-three point five. Is it up high at fifty-five? Uh, I thought it's. Oh, ESPN said fifty-five. Well, what's the number? Let's go with that. Who cares what everyone else is saying? What's your number? Well, I mean, okay. So I'm gonna go with the first base point. Let's go to exactly why ranking Rudy twenty-fifth is a joke. So in any year in which Rudy's played, the Jazz are 51 to 52 wins. Like, just by, like, change every other piece of that puzzle. Gordon Hayward, Donovan Mitchell, like, every other piece of the puzzle. Boyan Bogdanovich or Jay Crowder. Like, it doesn't matter. If Rudy plays, we win 52 to 53 games automatically. So I think, you know, I'd have to go over unless you're betting that Rudy's going to get hurt. If the Vegas line's, I think, 52.5, like, I'm going over. Because I know we're going to be at 52 if Rudy plays. Like, that's by definition, he's that great, that we automatically win that many amount of games. Um, and so, do I think that there's enough other talent around there to push it above that? Sure, absolutely. Um, but the minute you're in the top five, in one of the two categories, offense or defense, you general, you almost automatically win 50 games. So, you know, that's that's where Rudy puts us, and now – what else can we do? And this team's deep enough and good enough to do it. I mean, hey, the fact that we're like talking about this team and there's not much discussion on any of our top nine games, that nine nine guys in the rotation, that's when you're great. We're gonna let you go with this. Zach says, please tell David we blame Rudy because he cannot take advantage of a five foot nothing guy on the offensive end of the court guarding him. Save that topic. We'll discuss that next Friday. I've now done what Zach did. I've told you. Hi, Zach. Okay. David Locke, his weekly visit every Friday morning. Jazz Camp opens Tuesday, Media Day Monday. David, we'll talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Chris Torello, sports reporter for Bay News 9, covers USF. We'll be talking BYU and USF in 15 minutes. Stay with us. Ready, ready, ready. ready. 
It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes open up Pac-12 play as they welcome in Washington State for an early start. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 1030 with the postgame show immediately following the game on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference. Nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? Yeah! The 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. This week's Raiders game against the Dolphins is brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of the official Raiders debit card. All of the same great features and benefits now with silver and black. Learn more at AmericaFirst.com slash Raiders. We got tickets to give away this morning. We'll be giving away BYU tickets at 8.30, Utah tickets at 9.30, BYU and Utah tickets at 12.30 and 1.30 with Scotty and Hands. And coming up at 4.30 and 5.30 on the big show. So be prepared for that. All right, PK. It's a football Friday. We just took a moment to talk basketball with David Locke, and Chris Terrell is going to join us to talk BYU and USF next. But for the people getting to work at 8 o'clock, you got one nugget, one football nugget, one thing you think, one thing you look forward to? Regarding our teams? Anything well, about the way football I look this at weekend. It, to, yes, anything. To me, the most intriguing game is Utah State-Boise State because I'm expecting both the Utes and Cougars to win and win handily. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but as far as any mystery in an outcome – I'm going to the game in Logan versus the game in Salt Lake and in Provo because I think it's important for both these teams, with or without Jaron Hall, and I do expect Baylor Baylor Romney to play. I said it yesterday. I've been saying it all week, uh, but that doesn't matter to me. I still expect them to be able to play because they've told us that – you know, the competition was close and all that stuff, as Kyle did. The difference being Jaron Hall's 3-0 and and uh, Brewer went 1-2. and So neck and neck doesn't necessarily mean rising is going to star because Brewer didn't, although I'm expecting him to be better. But that's the way I view the locals here, and that's what most of the people tune in for. You can get national stuff from national people. We're 99% local, and that's important for us. That's what we do. So locally speaking, I expect the game north of where we are right now to be more of a mystery because I would be disappointed, actually, if the Cougars and Utes came down to the fourth quarter and five minutes to go, and it's a one-possession game, and we don't know who's going to win. Yeah, I would be more disappointed in the Cougars and the Utes because uh, Kyle's teams tend to play low-scoring games, so it's hard to make it a blowout. But the Cougars, I'm, I'm definitely expecting a comfortable win. Not, I don't expect the adrenaline to be pumping and uh, people to uh, be on the edge of their seats at 1130 at night. That would be very surprising. They should roll here. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 12.80 The Zone. Coming up next, Chris Torello, sports reporter for Bay News 9 and Spectrum Sports 360 in Tampa, Florida, will join us to talk USF Bulls. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 12.80 The Zone. Chris Torello joins us, sports reporter for Bay News 9 and Spectrum Sports 360 in Tampa, Florida. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Best of State Award winner Smart Rain is having an end-of-season sale on the Irrigation Smart Controller. Save 50% off each smart controller purchased. The offer is available to all commercial property zone listeners. Visit smartrain.net to schedule a demo today. Chris, good morning. 
Good morning. How you doing? Good. Chris, what has happened to the Bulls? It is a roller coaster. Watching them from the other side of the country, sometimes they're really good, sometimes they're not really good at all. And this season looks like it's off to a not really good at all start. No, you're right, and it, it hasn't been a pleasant ride for the past few seasons, going back to when Charlie Strong was here. And, uh, you know, I, I've kind of coined it, you know, when they had the likes of Quinton Flowers and all those guys, I mean, you know, it was a big, beautiful Ferrari when Willie Taggart left to go out west to Oregon, and then, uh, you know, Charlie Strong comes in from Texas, and he just he crashed it, you know. And uh, then, unfortunately, Jeff Scott from Clemson's had to come in and really not only try and develop the talent here but then go find the talent so you're starting to see that but unfortunately like luke fickle at cincy who's going to the big 12 like byu you know even scott frost and now gus Malzahn's gonna have to do it a little bit at ucf you have to find your guys your talent so uh that's that's a process right now but they're starting they're starting to find it it may not add up to a lot of wins this year but the word is progress and you're gonna have to find it a lot deeper than just the score so I'm interested in the quarterback position. I can recall in the offseason as we're preparing for stuff and reading on a BYU schedule, I look at the quarterback mm-hmm. spot, and I see McLeod transferred to Arizona, but they brought in mm-hmm. uh, a uh, Carolina transfer. They brought in a Miami transfer. But yet, neither of these guys are playing. It's the freshman McLean. What's going on there? Yeah, yeah, and Jordan McLeod, you know, such a good kid from the Tampa area. He was 7-14 of in that 2019 meeting against BYU, so it wasn't like he lit it up that day. But, uh, yeah, so Cade Fortin, he was actually a, a signing from Jeff Scott that first weekend back in December 2019 that he was here. He actually went up to Atlanta, and actually uh, Cade was about to commit to, I believe, Syracuse. And he said, give me a minute, I need you, and he brought him down, and then Cade you know, went through injuries, went through uh, COVID, unfortunately, last year, like so many players. And uh, so he never got right. Uh, and then, like you mentioned, they bring in Jaron Williams. But the thing about Jaron is, is, and I kind of saw it in spring, not that he's not a competitor, not that he's not talented, but he just, I said, he's fourth on the depth chart. Like, they've got two talented young quarterbacks that are way better than him. Like, I don't think Jaron's, Jaron peaked in high school. So I think that's why he never really materialized. And Cade, yeah, he, they were touting him for eight months as the starter. And then they, they tweeted out he was the starter for NC State, and everyone's sitting here thinking, okay, Cade's, you know, he's a leader, he's in control, and then he can hit a couple deep balls against NC State, and next thing you know, here comes Timmy McLean, and it's a, it's a quarterback competition. So, um, But Timmy McLean has a lot of flashes. He's a really good quarterback and, uh, you know, just won the 8A state championship here, and that's as high as you go in, in Florida. So uh, he he's definitely going to – make Bulls fans believe again, I think. Uh, so look, when you got a freshman, you got a young quarterback, sometimes you just have to let them go through the tough times because they're going to come out a, a lot better for it. So if you have a freshman quarterback who's going through tough times, you'd like to have a dominant run game, but mm. looks like running back by committee and there's nothing really dominant about it, the way the carries have been spread around. Is anybody going to merge as a guy or is this just going to keep being a three-headed monster? Well, I, here's the thing. I don't think – it's not that it's – I think it can be dominant the way they're structured, but they've got different backs doing different things. Uh, Jaron Mangum, who comes in as a transfer out of the SEC, he's somebody that you know can score. I think he's got five touchdowns. Yep. So 
uh, he can he can handle the ball. He can handle the workload. Last week, Brian Batie uh, had a career game, 110 yards. So, yeah, I mean, look, they, they've got different guys who can do different things. I think their running back room is arguably their, their, their strength of the team, that with their most improved position of offensive line. So uh, I think, um, you know, maybe you won't see it dominate on Saturday night in Pro Bowl, but you're going to see this team, again, continue to improve. They've definitely got the talent in the running back room. It's just a matter if they can you know get to that second third level against a very good BYU defense well def- offensively then did they return everybody along the offensive line so shouldn't this group improve as it goes well, the offensive line's doing really well. The offense, uh, you know, Alan Mockridge, Coach Mo, he's uh, been a godsend to this program. Uh, the offensive line, I think they've been grading out. If you look at the more advanced stats and pro football focus stuff like that, they're grading out over eighty. That's really good. So they, you know, they've only gotten three sacks this year, and BYU thinks right there with them. Uh, but you know, that's the thing. When you got a more mobile quarterback like Timmy, he's going to move, and he's going to he's going to get sacked, and that's going to happen tomorrow night. But uh, you know, he's a very capable, uh, you know, of you know, getting rid of the ball fast or making a decision and making the offensive line not have to work as much. But yeah, this finally uh, offensive line is. Uh, has finally come together. Um, they still need to recruit better at that position, in my opinion, but they're getting the most they can out of a lot of guys who are finally stepping up in what, for a lot of them, is their third, fourth, or fifth year. If you were defending this uh, receiver group, would you put your best corner on Xavier Weaver and tell the safety, find Weaver every time he breaks the huddle and then take your chances with everybody else? Yeah, I, listen, I think I'm so glad you guys mentioned Xavier Weaver. He's probably one of the most underappreciated receivers over the first few weeks of this season. I think uh, he does so much for this offense. He's, he's great. He, whether he's a second or third read option, uh, you know, he's somebody that you can get the ball to him. And we've been seeing it since spring ball. Uh, so he's, uh, I definitely think he's a guy you want to watch out for. Um, but another guy, and he comes from Sanford Seminole High School right there with, uh, with Timmy McLean is uh, wide receiver Jimmy Horn Jr., the freshman. Uh, you know, Cade Fortin overthrew him at NC State. It's, it's impossible to Horn Jr. This is a guy who, if he had another year of recruiting, Jeff Scott said could have been at Oklahoma, could have been at Clemson. So he's here. He's a gift for USF. And you're going to see him. I, I, I would love to see you. They did it against FAMU a lot more of the pre-snap, you know, jet sweep motion, everything. So I'd love to see them get Jimmy more involved. If you see Jimmy Horn, number five on the field, keep your eyes on him because he is a playmaker and he's ready to explode. How about defensively, speaking of a playmaker, they got a big stud up front. Uh, well, defensively, unfortunately for them, I think they're uh, – they're not where they should be, right? I mean, I, I was looking at the BYU. <laughs> they, they got big boys, and they got boys that are big who are freshmen. And I think if USF could just ask one of them to come back on the flight to Tampa, that would be really nice of you guys because they need them. <laughs> they need the big guys. They're going to have to do a lot of that in JUCO or transfer route this coming year. Um, but, you know, they've got some big guys, but no one really stepping up. I think their defensive line is just, you know, you talk about trenches it's not where it should be. So, yeah, they've got some talent at defensive end and a couple defensive tackles that can play. They've got a couple older guys, but it's not to the level of a BYU. It's not to where they should be. Their secondary is banged up. Their, their linebacking core is, is, is talented, but you're going to see some mismatch, mismatches, pardon me, where you have like a linebacker like number 11, Dwayne Boyles, who's out there guarding a speedy receiver, and you're going to be like, why is he there guarding? Of course, if you're BYU, you're going to be fine with that. 
We're joined right now by Chris Torello, sports reporter for Bay News 9 and Spectrum Sports 360 in Tampa, Florida. How does the news that UCF is going to the Big 12 with BYU and Houston and Cincinnati sit with USF? Uh, they kind of accept it. They see it for what it is. Or they're thinking, that should be us. We should have been in that group. Where did we mess up? You know what? I think if this was 2016 and you're coming off a year like UCF where they were 0-12, I think USF with Willie Taggart about to, you know, go for like a 10-win season, either they probably take USF at the time. And that's the thing, right? Big 12 has kind of been dangling this, this you know carrot in front of the horse for a long time about expansion. They had no choice with Oklahoma and Texas leaving. Uh, so I think uh, everyone's kind of seeing it for what it is. A couple weeks ago, they broke ground on their indoor performance center, which should be up by next August. So, uh, you know, thunderstorms, which uh, in case you haven't heard are pretty, you know, pretty everyday regular thing here during the summer. Uh, so they, they need that and that's going to only help them. Um, but then, you know, one of their board of trustees also that day said they're going for an on-campus stadium. And there's a lot of rumors I've been hearing that within the next few years, they're going to break ground and have a plan in place and they're going to get that stadium built because I think there is going to be another round with the big 12 but I think the Big 12 could be one of a few options for USF because they academically uh, could get into another conference if they can get to AAU research status. So that's something to look at. But look, UCF, good for them. They want to travel all that way. But let's make no mistake about it here, and I'm not trying to stroke anyone's ego. BYU is the white whale. They are absolutely incredible. They are the cla- one of the classiest organizations out there. They deserve this. And the Big 12 is going to be a lot better, more because of adding someone like BYU than adding UCF. Wow, let's just leave it right there then. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Chris, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll look forward to the game Saturday night. All right, thanks. You guys have a great weekend. Chris Torello, Bay News 9, Spectrum Sports 360 in Tampa, Florida. BYU is going to be a lot, or the Big 12 is going to be a lot better by adding BYU rather than those you-know-whats at Central Florida. The war on I-4 lives. (laughs) (laughs) The war on I-4. It's a great nickname for a a real thing. It is. (laughs) I am. I mean, good for them, but this is about BYU, not those schmucks. (laughs) I mean, they needed 12, so fine. Oh, see, we told Throw you. Throw them in. We told you, you fans, it's all about BYU. I'm glad people are finally coming around to my line of thinking. They understand in Tampa, you've won them over. <laughs> <laughs> Spent a lot of time on Tampa. Mm-hmm. All right, DJ and PK, <laughs> coming up, we got tickets to give away. We're giving away BYU tickets at 830. That's about 10 minutes away. We got Aggie tickets to give away. See the Aggies and Broncos at 850. We got tickets to see Utah and Washington State at 930. And then watch, rinse, repeat. More tickets coming up on Scotty and Hands and on The Big Show. So stay tuned all day long. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show Big Show with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Jaron Hall got the wind knocked out of him, according to him, but there's probably a little tough guy talking there. So what do they do with him for this weekend in a game in which the Magic Vegas predicting wizard has him winning by 65? And 23. What do you do with Jaron Hall? If he's got injured ribs, then you don't play him. Because he probably can't perform up to snuff anyway. The mighty bulls of South Florida, their defense is barely existent. Maybe that's an arrogant attitude to take, but it's something you have to take into consideration when planning out the future of your schedule. If you think you have the opportunity to make a little bit of a run here, 
here, you got to think about that stuff. You can be conservative. I do believe that because you should beat this team no matter what. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Football Friday is presented by Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. Time now for Hot Takes or Toast, brought to you by Utah Facial Plastics. Question of the day, what are the chances that by Sunday, Utah is 1-0 in Pac-12 play, and a couple of 4-0 teams are lined up to meet next week in Logan? Sweep, 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 sweep. Does it happen? S. Quirrells at Squirreling Around says, I think the chances are high. Warrior Hunt says, I hope it happens. I hope it happens too. Not everyone does because some people hate their rivals, but I'm with you, PK. (laughs) Winning is good for business. Come on. The Cougars, I'm having a hard time visualizing how they're going to mess this up. It just sounds like USF's got a lot of issues. One and two coming across the country with a freshman quarterback and running back by committee in a defense that could be overwhelmed here. It seems like a lot of stuff would have to go wrong for BYU to mess this game up. A lot. And it can because you turn the ball over four times, you can lose a lot of games. So there's always a chance, but it just seems really unlikely. I would agree with that, yes. Uh uh, Romney has proved capable. I mean, I want Romney to have some more resume than keep going back to a Boise win two years ago. And I'm pretty sure Romney wants to have more than that on his resume. I mean, that's nice, but you want more than that. And this reminds me a little bit of you know, Jerry Sloan used to say this all the time. You know, you're for the guys, you know, the statues and all, and, and those guys were all set. But the other guys who were down the bench a little bit, you know, you're playing not for just us. You're playing to stay in the league and the other 29 teams. I'm sure you remember him saying that. And I don't know what's going to happen with Baylor Romney, but my thought is you put some more stuff on tape, and I understand his wife's got some uh, schooling she's doing and is going to get close to being uh, over. And who's to say maybe, you know, he's not. I'm sure he's not thinking of that right now. It's all about uh, leading his team to a victory now. But have some other stuff on your resume, and if you should want to go some other places, there might be some other teams that would be programs that would be certainly interested in you. But he's probably thinking, I'm not sure, I would, wouldn't think he's thinking about that, uh, and I'm probably getting ahead of myself. But the point is, he wants to have more good experiences at BYU than just beating Boise a couple of years ago. That was nice and all, uh, but go forward here to see what he can do now with this opportunity. And who knows, man? Stranger things have happened, you know. Uh, there's a guy, I think, I can't remember his name, in New England got a chance because Drew Bledsoe got hurt. Uh, what was that guy's, guy's name? Escapes me. What's that guy's name? Uh, he was on the Brady Bunch, but I forget which kid he was. I don't remember. And I have, at one time, I had a very close personal relationship. Who was the oldest Brady boy? I can't think of his name. I know his name is Greg. Williams and Greg, okay, yeah. I know you were a big Brady Bunch guy. Uh, so... I'm not saying that he's going to be the next Tom Brady, but this is an opportunity to go out there and play. And, and yeah, you got to be excited for that. So Cougars should win and win handily uh, and continue. Because, you know, they're trying to make a move. Uh, in, in a sense, Utah's already made a move. 
But let's see what the Cougars rise up the rankings even more. And then, yeah, if I'm a BYU fan, I absolutely want Utah State to beat Boise. There's no question about it. Because then if we beat them next week, that just elevates our program even more. That would be my line of thinking. Before we move on to the other schools and the possibility of a sweep, Utah uh, BYU is a 23-point favorite. Before we get to the Utes and to Utah State, Yach's got some BYU tickets to give away. Call him right now at 855-340-ZONE. Caller number 12 at 855-340-ZONE wins tickets to see BYU and USF tomorrow night. 855-340-ZONE. We'll give away Aggie tickets in the next segment. We will give away U tickets one hour from now. And then Scotty and Hans and the Big Show will have more tickets later today as well. So for the Utes, not quite the overwhelming favorite that BYU is. 15-point favorite over Washington State, not 23. And we don't have as much confidence in them because we've seen them struggle. But... We've also seen Washington State play twice. i got to admit, I did not watch their Big Sky game with, uh, with Portland State. Uh, but watched USC and obviously watched the Utah State game. For all the issues the Utes have, Washington State's got them too. I just don't know how Washington State's going to score on the Utah defense. I thought the Utah defense has been playing better. Second half of the BYU game was not pretty. But they played better. And Washington State's got issues. They have been struggling to score. I expect the Utes are going to defend them pretty well. And I don't think it's going to take more than, what, 20, 24 points to win this game? Too low? You're already, you're already squeamish. I've gone too well, low. And, well, and I have gone too low for Vegas. They got the over-under at uh, 53. So uh, what are they thinking? What is that, like basically a 34-20 game, essentially? That's what they're thinking. Yeah, not sure who's going to be their quarterback. Delore's been hurt. Is it the Cooper kid going to finally get a shot to start? Or they go with the Tennessee transfer who has some moxie about him too. We've seen that. And so I'm sure they know who they're, what they're thinking. And Rolovich is an offensive guy. So I, I'm going to so give them a little bit So the Utes got to get to 28 a, to win the game. I would think so, yeah. I'm going to give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt. Uh, there, um, you know, Utah's defense. Uh, not really sure how good they are yet. They're just too many new guys finding their way. Uh, the potential's there. There's no doubt about it. Well, as good as they looked against San Diego State, the fool's goal there is that San Diego State's going to run the ball. And you know what? You don't have to make them one-dimensional. Well, they're playing with a backup quarterback, too. Right. They choose to be one-dimensional, so you didn't really make them be one-dimensional. So there's that. You know, if you want to go the, the defense, it was a, a little fool's goal. It wasn't really a true test. Season-ending injury up front. Arguably the best defensive lineman that they've got. They've got some younger guys on the outside that are still developing themselves. There's a lot of, uh, I think for Utah's defense, there's better days ahead. Not that they're necessarily bad right now. It's just that there's a lot of youth there and let these guys grow up a little bit uh, defensively. How good can they be in the meantime as they continue to get better? That's up front and in the backfield. The linebackers with Sewell and Lloyd, that's another story. 
You know, they're Lloyd's all over the field. He just he's just a classic linebacker in today's game for sure. So I'm talking about up front and then behind them in the secondary. There's so many so many new guys. The Pututel guys. They, I mean, they've established themselves up front too. So uh, it's still you know big injury there. How's he going to play out? And I and I, and I'm giving Rolovich a little bit of the benefit of the doubt going forward. Uh, so to think that you know maybe they should put some points on they did early and then they got shut out so oh geez how do we know what's going on there so it's going to be interesting to see that's for sure well BYU's favored by 23 and Utah is favored by 15 so when you start talking about wins there it's certainly not a stretch the Vegas money is firmly in the Ute and Cougar corners then the question comes well Utah State they've stunned us twice have they got a have they got another upset going and uh the Jazzy Ute says, I think Utah and BYU win, but I'm skeptical USU does. Meanwhile, Mario, who tweets at us all the time, says, Utah State ain't beating Boise. A Jazz fan, Joshy says, zero, zero percent chance that all three teams win. So there is plenty of doubt. Zero, huh? There is plenty of doubt that the Aggies can do it again. And then that's zero. No, no. I can, there's no way I can go zero doubt. I don't know. I can't. I, I mean, I know I can't go zero doubt. What I don't know is what percentage I can go. I, it's, it's just hard for me to, to ask the offense to put up 49 again to win. Now, uh, Air Force has got that tricky offense. And, you know, you're in and out one week. You prepare for it and then see you again next year. So there's hardly any carryover defensively. Uh, it did bother me that their quarterback, what was his name, Daniels, is setting personal records in the first quarter practically. That's not good because Bachmeyer, I believe, is a real talent. Uh, and that Shakir kid on the uh, outside for Boise is a big-time talent. So a little nervous there, but maybe that was somewhat of a fluke because you're expecting all these uh, – runs and these yeah, all the stuff that you gear for and then they throw your curveballs and start throwing the ball around well if Boise starts throwing the ball around it's not a curveball it's it's a fastball <laughs> coming right at you so that's on you to, to defend it but you know I like to think that it, for me this gorgeous time of year I woke up I, I really feel assignment sound this morning I think I've been able to hit all the stuff that I need so uh, we know when they play the option, it's about assignment sound football. And how come you never hear that the rest of the time? So it's not you don't have to be assignment sound when you play Boise. What's going on there? You're a football guy. I never put my hand in the dirt because I would dirty my fingernails. Why would I want to do that? You already told us you played football as a freshman at Thunderbird High. So no, no, I said I was on the. I said I was on the team. But you didn't put your hand in the dirt. So you <laughs> one time in practice. Like, what's the? What were you doing? Laying over in the high jump pit. <laughs> No, I will never man. forget going out for basketball and seeing kids laying in the high jump pit thinking, boy, it's tough to be on the track team. We're on the basketball team when we run more than those clowns. Just laying oh, in the should. high jump pit, flirting with the babes. Come on. Uh, yeah, my freshman basketball experience was some of the worst of my life with a guy who uh, just got done playing four years for Frank Cush and got <laughs> cut by the Bears in training camp. I mean, he was coaching freshman basketball, and he made Frank Cush look like Mr. Rogers. And so, <laughs> dude, he was a psycho, man. 
chucking the ball at me, cut a kid's hair in the locker room before the game because he said it was too long. He told him to get it cut, and he didn't. How about that? Imagine that going on today. Oh, that would be right out on social media. <laughs> Does he think he's BYU? <laughs> and I told you that time we go out to the track and we're supposed to run uh, four 440s, and we did it in two groups, and my, my group was first. And I thought that meant we were running a mile and a half. And I start going, and I'm, like, falling. The other guys are looking like Secretariat going around the turn compared <laughs> to me. <laughs> and he comes sprinting out, getting in my face that I was dogging it. And I'm like, Coach, I can't sprint a mile and a half. And then he realized that I misunderstood that we're supposed to sprint six 440s and then take a take a – time out and let the other group go then we would go <laughs> oh i'm running a bunch of 440s I'm not just running a mile and a half yeah i know i just in my mind six 440s that just registered okay we got we need to run a mile and a half if i'm running six laps around this thing i'm pacing myself <laughs> right. yeah exactly you've never heard of usain bolt but i'm not gonna be him yeah. i am not jeremy warrener out here yeah no, there's no way i'll drop that man i gotta run if i'm sprinting a mile and a half <laughs> Who sprints a mile and a half? Olympians. Um, Olympians yeah, sprint yeah, a mile right. and a half. <laughs> I'm 14 so, years old here. <laughs> <laughs> and it's hot. And fortunately, that one time he calmed down and he realized that I just misunderstood. So he gave me a pass. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think I was ever in better shape in my life than I was for 14 years old, man, on that basketball team with that wacko uh, doing it. And I remember one time I popped off to him and he chased me and he chucked the ball at me as if we were playing dodgeball, skipped and hit my legs. So, But it made me a tougher man, that's for sure. Man, it's a good know. thing there's no social media for this dude. And ever since then, I have been a Frank Cush disciple, and we haven't had the days at ASU that we had back then. And let me tell you, I was talking to somebody yesterday, that program really is in a mess, and they're going to need to clean house for sure the way what I've been hearing. So... But nevertheless, uh, going forward here, I don't know how we got on the, the track. We got random here. So here's the deal with Utah State. Do you trust what you've seen in two games this year with the new coaching staff? Or do you doubt Boise State because they have a new coaching staff and they've lost two winnable games and they get in a close game? You know, their confidence after blowing a 21-point lead at UCF and not being able to score a single point in the second half against Oklahoma State, is that going to bounce up and get them? Because there are a lot of people who are tweeting at us now, and they're going on 20 years of Boise State dominates Utah State. The Aggies have beaten them one time. Now, they haven't played every time, but they probably played 15 of the 20 years. They briefly weren't in the same league. But mostly they've been, they've been playing. And it's just the Broncos win. And one time in 2015, the Aggies got them. Now, the Broncos haven't lost to anybody in the division since Wyoming and Air Force got them in 2016. So this is a game that, on the surface, you just default to Boise State. And that works for you 90-plus percent of the time. You hate it when I do that, when I pick games based on program strength. But in college football, because people have widely different uh, you know, budgets and facilities and traditions, it actually works a big percentage of the time. Yeah, but I don't think but this time it does. That's the point. Is this different? That this offense is now, it took, uh, I don't know what, it took three quarters to figure it out, but over the last nine quarters, this offense has looked brilliant. And are they capable of going out and outscoring a Boise State team that aside from, I don't know, the first 15 or 20 minutes of that UCF game, the offense has been kind of, eh, 
okay. Uh, yeah, the competition has been pretty good, too. Yeah, it has. So, uh, you know, to me, it, the, the problem I have is if you're asking the offense to score 45 or more, that is a big-time ask. Because you have to have a lot of big plays. Now, the Aggies have had a lot of big plays. There's no question. You know, not, they, they had enough plays, obviously, against Washington State. Uh, but North Dakota, they had a ton of big plays. The Air Force is hard to keep up, as I said Monday to Blake Anderson. Geez, thanks, man, because your games have been a whole lot of fun to watch. He didn't appreciate it because he'd prefer <laughs> it not to be like that, and I get that. But for me, I just want entertainment, and I got it watching them for sure, especially last week. It's just that I, I, it's hard for me to think that at the same time because you can say that the, uh, Boise didn't score in the second half. Okay, fine. But how about defensively in the second half too? They locked, o- good. They locked Oklahoma State up. And, yeah. And I, here's the thing, and this goes back to the whole Charlie Brewer-Baylor thing. I know from watching Oklahoma State football, they throw the ball around and they score a lot of points. But they're doing it in the Big 12, and lots of teams do it in the Big 12. So was that really that good by the Boise State defense? You know what I mean? Yeah, you can go back and forth forever on this after only two games or three games. Yeah, but when you mix in the money game, it's two. I don't think the money games tell us much about either team. Uh, okay, fine. That's why. Yeah, yeah. So it really when, is two. When games. we get to it's when we get to November, episode. a lot yeah. of these questions have been answered. Well, and Kyle said that at his press conference after Week One, he says it's, you know, you want an answer after Week One, and we want to prove a lot to Week Two, but until you're four or five games in, it's hard to know. And he knows because his whole career and every coach their whole career they've been trying to you know break down teams trends and tendencies and they've been fooled week two three and four they all have at some point it's impossible not to be for sure but the good thing is is that right now when the aggies take the field tomorrow morning they believe they're really good they now, do. Maybe in 10 games, they'll still think they'll have even more evidence. But if it should slip away, well, it hasn't slipped away yet. And so they're coming off a great win. There's just no other day, no other way to say it. They're coming off two great wins. You know, they expected to beat the other team. But they're coming off two great wins, a conference rival on a Pac-12 team on the road. So they believe that they're really good. Anderson is a new guy. It's a new day. So many different players on the program, in the program playing who weren't there last year. So the point is they've got a ton of confidence. And if they're not as good, they don't know it yet. Ride with Tyler. And this is a BYU fan because he's got a cougar on a Big 12 logo and it's blue. And he says, <laughs> 5% chance Utah State beats Boise State. Why would they say that? Because <laughs> they've, well, if you're a BYU fan, you've done pretty well against Utah State. I mean, there was a blip there mid-decade, but you seem to be regaining the upper hand. And, man, Boise State's been a terror until the last two years. And we won the last two. Yeah, but it's 5% chance? No. That seems low. Well, and, I, and would think, I would you think you should be picking. them to win. 30 is the number I've settled on. Don't you want them to win and set up uh, two It's a little bit of a wash. Next? No, it's, it's not. It's it a little bit of a wash because you play them both. But I get your point that the Boise State game, the Broncos are going to come in with at least two losses. So if you want yeah, the big splash. that's down the road. Let's worry about right now. If you want the big splash, then you need Utah State to win. But because both teams are on your schedule, ultimately no. I don't know that it's going to matter that much. No, 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 no. Because a win over Boise is always valuable. A win over Utah State isn't as uh. nearly as valuable unless they're 4-0. and If you beat Boise, you're 
always going to get, wow, that's a nice win because of all those things that you just said about Boise. So I disagree on that line of thinking. The problem is it's a new coach. They've already lost two games. doesn't matter. If Utah State beats them and BYU beats them, that's four losses. And Boise State might not be done losing. This might be a 7-5 or 6-16. So then why not want Utah State to win? Because that could be one of your better wins. That just proves the point even more. I think they've already got their better wins because if they're going to have a big year, they got five Pac-12 teams. they got a Big 12 and an ACC team. and They that's don't have their really, better wins. That's what's you, really BYU gonna, has their better wins right now? That's good. No, no way. Arizona sucks beyond belief. Historically sucks. I just told you the Devils are a mess, and so they got a nice win against Utah. They, they, and the Utah's 1-2 and two right now. So that, But the, the storyline will be they beat now. all these Power 5 teams. They, but it, their best win isn't yet to come. Their best win is to come. That's my point. Whether it comes yeah. or not... That's the point I'm making. I don't know that. But their best win this year on this year's schedule, it's to come. It has not been accomplished just yet. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Stay with us. We're giving away Aggie tickets next. We just gave away the Cougar tickets. You got a winner, Yak. And go ahead. Jessica was our winner. All right, Jessica, congrats. She gets the Cougar tickets. We give away the Aggie tickets in the next segment. The U tickets at 930. Wash, rinse, repeat with Scotty and Hands later today. And with the big show this afternoon, they have more tickets to give away to college football this weekend as well. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. BYU welcomes South Florida to Lavelle Edwards Stadium this Saturday. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game. And then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 6. With the postgame show starting immediately following the game on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We got tickets to give away to see Utah State and Boise State. 10 a.m. tomorrow. You can watch the game, Channel 2. You can listen to it here on The Zone Sports Network with Scotty G. You want to go to the game? We got the tickets right now. Caller 12 855 zone Caller 12 855 zone PK, we'll get right back to football, but the Ryder Cup continues, and Cantley and Shoffley, holy cow, they were five up through five. They're now five up through eight. Dominating. Shoffley knocked in, I don't know what it was. Did you see a yacht? It was like a 40-foot putt. It was a long Long putt. Long putt. Yeah, long putts are good when they go in. A couple of Southern California guys, San Diego State, UC Los Angeles, man. Well, uh, Canley's from the Long Beach area. And apparently, judging by the way they're dressed, brisk and or cold morning in Wisconsin. The Whistling Straits is living up to its billing. The Beach Boys are quite comfortable. It's Oh, I like that. Nice. And the water's right there. (laughs) Right. It's full of mosquitoes, but at least not full of crocs. So you it's got not that the going. ocean. No, it's not at it's all. Not the ocean, but you know, it's right on. Uh, what was what, what lake is that? Michigan. Uh, I'm not good at the Great Lakes geography, yeah. but I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, it's right there, literally right on the water. If you're watching it, it's got to be uh, Michigan. Now that I think about it, yes, you're right. Yeah. D- Dustin Johnson and Colin Morikawa are two up through eleven, although Thomas and Spieth are two down through thirteen. 
And Kepka and Berger, nail biter, knuckle biter, one up through ten over Westwood and Fitzpatrick. <laughs> Do you know Sergio is tied for the second most Ryder Cup wins? And his his team is the only the only pairing that's winning right now for At Europe. Twenty two. He's Gar- uh, I think Faldo's in the lead with twenty three. John Rahm, Sergio Garcia, two up on Thomas and Speed through 13. So the first four matches at the Ryder Cup, the U.S. is leading three, dominating one, and leading the other two. And the Europeans are up, up uh, in one match right now. So that's where the Ryder Cup sits as, uh, as the three-day gets underway. All these photos are so weird to see all these guys dressed identically. I mean, in golf, it's, it's an individual sport, and everybody's got their sponsors, and all of a sudden everybody's out there in the team gear. Yeah, but that's what makes it special, though. It does. It does. Because of it that still very looks, thing that you say. It still looks funny. <laughs> it's like, uh, it looks funny, but I'm used to it in this event, though. Yeah. Or in these types of events. Right. President's Cup. Yeah, so I can I look forward to it because it is different. That that's part of the allure to it is it's it's a one of a kind deal. They spend all year going at each other trying to beat one another, and here's the one time where they're united, us against them. And I love the world against the U.S. because that's the way it should always be. Okay, but see, the Ryder Cup is Europe versus the U.S., and it has an edge. You can feel it. The President's Cup is the rest of the world, and it doesn't yeah, have the, the edge. So you're right. The Ryder is different in that. It's, the it's, Ryder it's, Cup it's, has the edge. Uh, I think it does, yeah. I don't understand necessarily why, but it does. All right, DJ and PK, back with more college football. You got an Aggie ticket winner yet, Yuck? Yep, Blake. Just got off the phone with him. So All Blake right, is Blake's going, going to the, going the Boise game. State Broncos and Utah State. Get up early. Get up the canyon, get to Angie's and grab some food. Clean the kitchen sink early. Yeah. Maybe tailgate. Get the order to go. Head over. Tailgate at the game with your food from Angie's. Breakfast tailgates are highly underrated. Highly. Highly underrated. All right. So there it is. We've given away the Cougar tickets and the Aggie tickets. We'll give away the U tickets at 930. And we'll do that coming up. DJ and PK. Question of the day. What are the odds all three teams are winning? The Utes are going to win the conference opener, and BYU and Utah State will be lined up for a showdown of 4-0 and teams. What are the odds? We'll get to that next. Stay with us. This week's Raiders game against the Dolphins is brought to you by American First Credit Union, the official home of the official Raiders debit card. All of the same great features and benefits now with the silver and black. Learn more at AmericaFirst.com slash Raiders. Question of the day. What are the chances after Saturday, Utah's 1-0 in conference play, and two 4-0 teams meet next week in Logan? It doesn't seem that there's a lot of doubt about the Utes and the Cougars, but there is plenty of doubt about the Aggies. And that's what makes it so exciting, PK. The coming off a one-win season, it was a complete disaster. New coaching change. Tons of transfers from the starting quarterback to the leading tackler, and it has all come together so quickly. They have beaten a Pac-12 team on the road. They hadn't done that. They hadn't beaten any team from a power conference in 50 years. I mean, at that point, it wasn't even power conferences. That's a new thing. And now they've won their conference opener against an Air Force team that's been a problem for them, and here comes Boise State. Dream big, baby. Dream big. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I think this is the way you want it. You don't want – it gets boring if every game is something that you're just going to slaughter. 
now you got something that you're not sure. I, I view this as, as this is fun. This is what it's about here. You can, on a lower level, the greatest football program of all time, the Corner Canyon Chargers. I can remember uh, reading some, or it was one of your post-game interviews that Dave Fox did or somebody did on the field, maybe it was Frank or Tony last year, and it was a close game, and they hit up one of the receivers, and he says, yeah, this was a lot of fun. You know, no disrespect to the other teams, but beating everybody by 45-50, eh, you know, it's kind of boring in a sense. And so you want these games. We talked about it for years when Utah made the transition into the Pac-12 from the Mountain West. At, th- at those times, going in those final years, it was like it was just BYU or TCU, and then you were going to handle everybody else. And now you're not sure what's going to happen. And that, that's what it's about. That's why when you get these wins, they make it that much better and that much sweeter. And for Utah State, man, wow. Jeez, this would just be so gigantic. I, I get it, Boise State and a couple losses, this or that, but eh, so what? It's still, if nothing else, it puts you up 2-0 in the conference. And I've always believed if you are an, an elite-level Mountain West Conference team, you're a pretty good football team. And I just don't take these designations Power five, non-power five, or group of five, and they place you in these categories. These categories should be earned, not just designated and like you're entitled to it. But nevertheless, that's the system. And it is sweeter when you do it. I get it. And if you win those games against power five opponents, that matters more. But to an extent, I think they're bogus because I think we've seen many times if you're an elite Mountain West team, you're very much capable capable of beating the middle to the bottom of Power Five teams conferences. I, I firmly believe that. I firmly believe that. We've seen plenty of uh, results over the years. We've seen plenty of results this year. So you can't be surprised. I mean, Fresno State just won at UCLA. That was a wildly entertaining game. San Diego State just beat Utah. You can go on down the line. There's more examples. And it's funny, you know, yesterday I mentioned I saw the Florida AD say, and I said, well, you and I believe that, but we've been following Mountain West teams for decades and WAC teams before that. And it's just weird to hear an SEC guy say it. And then, of course, I'm driving home later and I'm thinking, well, of course he said it. The Alliance, he's not going to be able to schedule games against three of the leagues. They're pretty much going to be booked up. So it's going to be Big 12 or bust. Of course he's going to have to go out and, and schedule other teams. Of course he said it. I don't know why that took so long to come to me. Oh, so like he's <laughs> pumping them up? Well, he's just so, a, he's a, yeah, probably so a little bit of that. Is what you're getting at. Yeah, it's a little political. It's a little pumping them up, and it's a little bit just looking at reality. Well, this alliance thing is going to happen. We we tried to monopolize college football with ESPN, and at the last second, Texas A&M blabbed, and now the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the ACC are on to us, and they're going to shoot down our TV deal. They're going to schedule each other and blow us off. They're pissed at us, and they yeah, don't I like gotcha. us. So See, I, view, I got you. I understand yeah. exactly what you're saying, and it makes complete sense as you bring that up. I view college football in a manner in which I view the NBA. And what I mean by that is the advent of the and the progression of the foreign player. Nobody bats an eyelash now. The foreign player is not a one-trick pony you know, like he used to be, you know, big man, big white dude who can shoot a little bit. Now, now we see foreign guys of all different f- – 
races and ethnicities and all different caliber of players. They're tough. They're hard-nosed. So the game, I think, in the NBA, there's a whole lot more uh, increased pool of players who are really good. I view that same thing with football in our country with the advent of the youth programs and guys like John Beck, Riley Jensen's talking about how he's training 40 quarterbacks. Well, I I don't know if that used to happen as much. So the point I'm making is that there's the players and their games at a younger age, the pool of them in terms of quality players has grown. So they all can't go to the power fives, right? So you look at it. We've seen it in Big Sky. I mean, my gosh, look at Trey Lance, right? You know, he's being touted as a a big-time quarterback. We'll see how he develops in the uh, NFL. But it's not really a shocker anymore to have, you know, the the Kurt Warners where he's stocking shelves at the local whatever food market, supermarket store. That's, you know, that that's an incredible story. But having these guys come from so-called smaller places, it's not that unusual. So there's I think the pool of great players has increased. So it only makes sense that these other places are going to be better. Now, it's going to be interesting to see what happens on the transfer portal because you don't want to happen like, you know, inadvertently with Jackie Robinson going and breaking the color line. Well, what did it do? It basically shut down the Negro Leagues, right? I mean, the Negro Leagues, I didn't grow up with the Negro Leagues, but my father did with the Newark Eagles, and he told me about it, and that's why I made sure I got to the Negro League Baseball Hall of Fame in – Kansas City there, so it was important to go there. So they shut down that league, and that that sucked. Well, I don't want this transfer portal shutting down or really limiting these group of five programs and having these players then view it as a complete and total minor league system. I hope it doesn't come to that. Uh, I don't know that it will, but I certainly have a concern going forward that that could possibly be. But for right now, they play a pretty good brand of football, and I'm expecting a good brand of football tomorrow at uh, 10 o'clock when I turn on my former employer who just kind of just savagely let me go back in the spring. Greg Bell at San Diego State is a good example of a guy who, you know, was at Nebraska, transferred to San Diego State. Playing time is important. I get, and there will be examples, I get why group of five schools are worried about guys having a little success and then trying to move to a power five school. I get that, and it'll probably happen to a degree, but by the same token, guys want playing times. If you can find a power five and a stable situation, a good situation, or excuse me, a group of five that's a stable situation, a good situation, the way Rocky Long had San Diego State going for a decade. And I think you got to embrace that. I do embrace it. You know, as a player, <laughs> I do. I get you do. <laughs> I just don't know. You You and I look at things differently than a 16, 17, or 18-year-old is going to look at it. And I do think that there, you're right about the young talent. There's a certain amount of professionalism that's come to youth sports, and that's both good and bad. And there are definitely sharks out there making money off people, not uh, bringing value. But I can remember being stunned 20 or 30 years ago reading about these uh, – English and European soccer teams signing 12-year-olds. And now you look at what we hear, and it's different here, but you hear like what we hear when we talk to former athletes that we have on our show, and Steve Cleveland comes on and talks about his grandkids, actually. And he's like, hey, these 12- and 14-year-olds, they watch Steph Curry highlights, and then they try to go do it in the gym. 
I mean, there is a level of training that just didn't exist. And uh, Gundy at Oklahoma State just went off on this about uh, how he ate and going to the pool and flirting with girls and, and then two-a-days, two or three weeks before the game started. It's just it's completely different now. There is a level of professionalism in youth sports, for better or worse, that will help some elite athletes. There's, there's no doubt about it. Well, for better if it works, and for worse if it doesn't. That would be the simple line to draw, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, there's no sense de- delving into that because parents do what they do in the moment, and they think it's right, and who knows. And, for one person is, and for another it isn't, yeah, and yeah, yeah. how do you know until you go down that road? You know, yeah. Maybe you know a little bit, but a lot of times, I think as parents, the longer you parent, the more you realize, man, I'm just... I'm just holding on, waiting for the horn at the old at the rodeo. <laughs> you just, hey, just stay on the bull, man. That's me. Just stay. You're figuring that out now as oh, you go along. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm way behind yeah. you two, obviously. And, and and we make a big deal and we put the pressure on sports, but don't remember, don't forget, I should say, Jesse Spano. She started taking drugs because she had to get into the best school possible at Bayside High. I don't know if you remember that, and it became a little bit of an issue for her because of the pressure to have great grades and all that. So it's on the academic side, too. And, you know, maybe that's why she went and then became a dancer in Vegas and really struggled and did some things that she probably shouldn't have. You know what I'm talking about. I didn't know which one Jesse Spano was until you did the whole dancing Vegas thing. Now I think I got it. Well, what's wrong with you? How do you not know exactly who Jesse Spano is? You're, you, you, you've long since denied greatness. They had the college years. They've had a remake. It's simply one of the five greatest shows ever, and it's about time you've gotten on board. And I felt for Jesse as she was getting, what, some type of narcotic that speed or whatever it's called. I don't know. I'm not familiar with any of that stuff. But she was all hyped up. That's real, Dave, and it's about time you acknowledge it. Get the Tina Turner going right now, Yach. Simply the best. Let's make it happen. Tina Turner now just going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. How difficult is that to get into? Tina Turner should have been in 20 years ago. Easy I call there. I can't believe that, man. Easy call there. You're totally yeah. right. Why did Tina Turner have to wait? I'm seeing who's made it into that thing. Tina Turner should have been in a while ago. Yeah. Get up to speed already. I mean, fortunately, she's still alive, so she's not going to have to worry about being made posthumously. That's not the word, and you know it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Tina, dance, man. She going out on tour anytime soon? I don't know that. Tina, tour one more time. I'll be there. I've seen three concerts in the last month. Get the poll questions up. You can vote right now. 88% of the people think BYU is winning. 72% believe in the Utes. Aggies at Boise State. Virtual toss up here. Utah State with a 52-48 edge right now. Good. I think they're probably voting with their heart. How about if Baylor Romney just kicks butt and they score 50 points? Do we have a quarterback controversy? <laughs> oh. I, up, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think they really want... Paul to be the guy. And I'm going to be distracted by how awesome this song is because this song is awesome. 
And I think that the quality of opposition will factor into it. Well, like, yeah, whoever they play was going to light this okay, team up. Okay, but how much worse is Arizona than South Florida? That's an excellent question. And I think that goes back to the confidence and false confidence because I think the best football Arizona played, they, they played in the middle of that season opener. So far. Yeah. And other than that, it's been a disaster. It just keeps getting worse and worse. They got run off the field by San Diego State. They got humiliated by Northern Arizona. You're lumberjacks. Taking them down. You know who they play this week? Uh, I do because I saw the Pac-12 schedule, but I forgot. Is it USC? It's Oregon. Oregon. It's Oregon. Okay. Or in Eugene. I knew knew it was one of them. Yeah. (laughs) It's either uh, FS1 or ESPN late at night. ESPN 830. ESPN. It's going to be over by 845. (laughs) <laughs> Probably. Oh, <laughs> uh, USC's got Oregon State, and that's on FS1 at 8.30. Maybe that one. Maybe that one will hold our in, our interest. Uh, a little longer, although we'll have the BYU game at that time anyway. Yep. Uh, so I, I think there's something there. You know, I'm not going to rule it out. And I'm Romney, Romney doesn't want to have it be ruled out. Why should I rule it out? I, I don't think that they want Hall to play. They believe he's the best player. I don't think... That mobility he gives you, the run he gives you against the Ute, against Great. the Utes, that, that's a big play. It's a big momentum play in that game. Agreed. Agreed. And and is Romney going to provide that occasionally, no, maybe? Not, not, but not to the level of Hall. Not to not the level. To the level. Right. Yeah, I actually think you're talking of that first down when it was they were in no man's land. But they couldn't it was, punt. What, it was too close. Fourth and ten, fourth yep. and eleven, something like yep. that. I actually believe that was the bigger momentum change than the Algier play. Because the Algier tackle was an, a phenomenal play. The fumble, you know, they were fortunate the ball stayed in bounds. But the offense still had to get out there and take care of business. Even if the Devils would have taken, okay, we intercept the ball, run it back to the 10 and fumble. Do we take this play right now? Yes. They still would have taken that play. And I'm not, I don't know what, it's gonna, what would, would happen but that fourth and was it – I think it was 11. Was it 10? Yeah, I think it was 11. Yeah, and to get that first down was just big time, big time. Because that game – and it's not taken away from Algier because it's a phenomenal play, no doubt about it. But I think that I didn't see that coming. I thought they were going to turn the ball over on downs, and their offense at that point was sputtering. They'd got a couple of turnovers and only, what, three points to show for it. So that whole play was great. But you got to start to ask yourself. I can. I have a friend. She's in uh, fantasy football, and every year she call. Or she texts me. Uh, that's why you go with Podium because people text. Uh, that uh, go to podium.com/special, of course, as you know. And she, she texts me. You know, who do you who do you like this year? And she was asking me about uh, was it Cook of Minnesota and McCaffrey. I said, Hey, I love McCaffrey, but he's always hurt. And now we got the same deal with Hall here? Are we just going to overlook this? Here we are, hurt again, and can't play? Well, that's the beauty of having Romney. It's not that big a drop-off. I know. You lose a little of the super mobility and all that, but... Do we want to just ignore that, that that's a problem? Because now this is, again, so this is becoming a problem here. And how much can you count? I, I've had coaches tell me they've gone and chosen a player that they didn't necessarily think was 
as talented. It's certainly not more talented, but they absolutely believe in the player's durability over the other player. The best ability is availability. Now I'm wondering here, you know, where do we go with this? And so we'll have to see how this game turns out tomorrow night and what the injury situation is next week. Because I'm not, you know, who knows? I maybe, and I hope for Hall to be healthy every game, every player. I don't care who it is. I hope for them all to be healthy, especially at the collegiate level. Absolutely, 100%. I don't care. Against my devils, I want your guys to be healthy. It's, for me, it doesn't mean that much anyway. But I hate to see injuries. We all do. So I wouldn't rule it out necessarily. Suppose Braylor Romney comes out there and just looks big time. I guess that would, uh, if Hall is healthy next week, he starts. It's still Hall. In my mind, it's still Hall. And I'm on I'm on board with Romney. I don't want to dismiss that Boise no, game I two you. years ago. I and I, I get it was one game, and it was two years ago, but he passed the eyeball test to me. And I thought when they had this competition, well, if somebody beats him out, then that quarterback's going to be really good because there's he's just established a baseline. And he didn't miss a beat coming in against Arizona State. Hey, you're under the rush. You're falling away, throwing on your back foot. you got to loft it over a defender and, and drop it in. And granted, your tight end's wildly talented and a big target. But he was pinned against the back of the end zone with a defender in front of him. That, put it that, where his guy can that get. That pass was on the money. Yeah, my guy or no guy, right? That's what uh, My guy or no guy. I like that. Yeah, Man. That's a quarterback thing they all say. Oh, well, you played quarterback in a mural, so you know, buddy. I didn't, actually. <laughs> But I did in the mascot bowl one time. Does that count? <laughs> Bunch of guys in costumes I got to play quarterback because I didn't have big, goofy gloves. I'm literally I goofy did gloves play quarterback in intramurals. Oh, you did? Was, oh, yeah, it was flag football. And uh, the one guy on the line told me, man, I'm open, I'm open. I said, yeah, but the problem is your job is to block. So quit telling me you're open because I'm not throwing the ball to you. We got you on the line to allow me the time to throw. It really ticked me off. DJ and PK at 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're giving away tickets to the University of Utah next. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Jaron Hall got the wind knocked out of him, according to him, but there's probably a little tough guy talking there. So what do they do with him for this weekend in a game in which the Magic Vegas predicting wizard has him winning by 65? 23. What do you do with Jaron Hall? If he's got injured ribs, then you don't play him. Because he probably can't perform up to snuff anyway. The mighty Bulls of South Florida, their defense is barely existent. Maybe that's an arrogant attitude to take, but it's something you have to take into consideration when planning out the future of your schedule. If you think you have the opportunity to make a little bit of a run here, you got to think about that stuff. You can be conservative. I do believe that because you should beat this team no matter what. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to catch up on everything we've been talking about in the show today. We gave away BYU football tickets at 8.30. Gave away tickets to see Utah State at 8.50. Now we've got tickets... See the Utes, caller 12, 855-340-ZONE. 855-340-ZONE. Right now, caller 12 gets tickets to Utah and Washington State. Temperatures in the 80s, a 1230 kickoff. The game will wrap up by 4. This is perfect. This is old school college football back in the day. Four of the six Pac-12 games are uh, Pac-12 after dark variety. Be a lot of Pac-12 football on tomorrow night on... ESPN and uh, FS1 and the Pac-12 Network, and I think ESPNU's got a game. 
So four of the six games are under the lights at night, which, you know, if you're in Arizona or Southern California, that was kind of their tradition this time of year. But it's not the tradition here in Utah, so we got a day football game. Gear up for that. Take advantage of it. You don't know when it's coming again. Yep. And you get your tickets right now. Call or 12-855-340-ZONE. If you don't win now, there will be more tickets on the big show and on Scotty and Hands coming up. I know uh, Scotty and Hands giving away BYU tickets at 1230 and Utah tickets at 130. Not sure about their plans for the Aggies, but I'm sure Mr. Aggie, Scotty G, will have plans in that area. All right. We have mostly been talking football this morning. We've talked a little golf and PK. We have a reversal of fortune. Well, at least the start of one. Poulter and McElroy have won a couple of holes. I think they've won 10 and 11. Cantley and Shoffley are now 3 up through 11 at the Ryder Cup. They were up 5 after 5 holes, and I think they were still 5 at the turn. But now it's 3 up after 11. Dustin Johnson, Colin Morikawa, they're 2 up on Casey and Hovland through 13. Kepka and Berger are 2 up through 13 as well on Westwood and Fitzpatrick. And Sergio Garcia and John Rahm, a long putt, and they have stretched their lead to three up through 15, so they've just about wrapped it up with Thomas and Spieth. But the U.S. up on three of the four matches right now. The football news this morning. Uh, if there's a game that we have overlooked a little bit, or uh, I want to say we've overlooked it, if there's a game whose outcome we might be overlooking and presupposing a little bit, Utah over Washington State. But I just think the mindset, expecting to win, the Utes have the advantage there. I mean, Mike Leach had a good run. Um, not quite the Kyle run, but he had four years, you know, averaging about a little over nine wins a year, like Kyle had over a six-year span. And like Kyle, he had an 11-win season, but they've gone 6-7. and seven. They were 1-3 and three in that brief thing last year. They are 1-2 and two now. So, 8 and 12, not exactly the mojo you're looking for. And you got your clock cleaned in the second half by Washington State. You got beat by Utah State in the fourth quarter. I know Utah's had problems, so assuming they're going to win seems like maybe a little, um, little too much ego, a little too much confidence. And yet I look at the way things are going for Washington State, and I think, I know the Utes have their problems, but they're still in a better place than this team. Uh, sure, but that's not what it's about. Utah believes they can contend for the South, not where we don't suck as bad as Washington State. That's not going to get you anywhere. So they need to come out and have a dominating performance. So if you just want to go for the win perspective, sure, go that way. But this team needs to put together a complete game and look good doing it because they got SC coming up in their next game uh, after a bye. And for them, it, they believe that they can win the South. And why so, not? The South looks wide open. So just squeaking by, we don't suck as bad as you, isn't near good enough. So the uh, – and I agree with that. Yeah, if they walk off the field after a 17-16 win and it's mistake-filled and all that, it'll be a win, but we'll be in here talking about what was wrong, not the fact they won. So – 100%. Right. 100%. I'm on board with that. It's interesting that maybe one of these uh, sports cliches is actually springing to life. We get this moment of truth that creates the cliche, and then the cliche lives on even when it's not close to true. But well, the only people who believed in us were in this building because there are a lot of Ute fans who are thinking eight and four tops, maybe six and six here. And when you say they believe they're going to win the South, I wonder if they have that level of conviction after the last two games. I think they had that level of conviction in August. 
I, I, I buy that. Well, but, see, I think that's where that we may not suck as bad as the other teams can factor in and pump up their belief. Because so it's I'll not just a wazoo that. thing. It's a whole division thing. Well, it's a, who, who's good in the Pac-12 South? Right now, nobody. Who's dominant? Who's really good? Right now, nobody. UCLA yeah. and UCLA have had flashes of it, but they've also both got uh, debacles they would like to completely forget. USC wants to wipe away that Stanford thing, and UCLA cannot be proud with the way the defense got shredded in the fourth quarter by Fresno State because they no. got shredded on defense. performance. Yes. And that program's been known for being soft. Yep. So here we go again. Yeah. So you can go down the whole list. And there's only uh, three other teams you need to worry about because Colorado and Arizona ain't doing it. So there's only three other teams right there. And the Utes are right in the mix with those three teams. In a sense, it's going to be really entertaining because you don't have a dominant team where everybody's chasing the big dog. It doesn't look like there's a big dog. Someone's going to emerge, obviously, and they might very well emerge with a good record. And SC has the advantage of not having to play Oregon, and Utah has to play them. That could be a significant difference. And maybe not. they don't play Washington, and maybe Washington can get it together. Who'd they play last week? They played some rakening team and beat them up pretty good. I can't remember who it was off the top of my head. Uh, so going forward there, you know, schedule might factor into it. But Utah, all and if they don't quite believe it, all they got to do is turn in a dominating performance tomorrow, and they will believe it. I believe they will believe it. I believe that they believe it to a degree. <laughs> But I believe they certainly will believe it. That's a lot of go. that's a lot of beliefs. I think well, I've I got your point, but you've entertained me enough. I don't really care anymore. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm trying to speak, you know, believe and faith. I try yep. to speak your guys' ah, language. I do the best I can. I don't always succeed. A lot of times I struggle, and I've got issues of my own, as you know. But nevertheless, this is now, where I stand on this situation. What what bugged me about all that? I loved all the belief stuff, even though you almost got tied in knots there, and then you just bailed. I never it, bailed get tied in knots. And no, you came if through. I keep, no, if but, I get tied in knots, the solution is keep talking because eventually I'll untie it. Right, and you did. That was the beautiful thing. You did. But. What I have a hard time believing is you full well know who Washington smoked after losing to Montana in a horrific upset and then getting drilled at Michigan. They beat Arkansas State, and you know. You have the roots. So don't pretend like you don't know that it wasn't Arkansas State. It was a bad week last week for ASU everywhere. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Hopefully they didn't have 42 penalties and then... Blame it on the crowd when all you need to do is look at the ball. And yet what? Penalties. Look at the ball? Yeah, How do you know that? Did you put your SCU? hands in the dirt in a loud stadium? <laughs> you must be smarter than the entire Arizona State coach. Wait, Wait a minute. Like, look at I'm the like, ball. I'm like Jed Fish. I never actually played ball. <laughs> I was a tennis guy. Uh, so, uh, And Mike Leach didn't play college ball. So yeah, that's, that's a bunch of crap there uh, as far as them. That just plays in Utah's favor. Uh, in the South, there's really only one game I'm worried about for Utah, and that's SC. That doesn't mean the other two teams can't beat them, but I'm not worried about it. Maybe I'll change my mind when we get there. Wait till you get there. Be Washington State. Get a bye week to get ready for USC, and then we'll see where they are and reset. I'm telling you, Monday at 11 o'clock, it's going to be all good news. <laughs> The good news is Kyle's going to give himself the bye week off from the press conference. I'm out. <laughs> oh, they're not going to have him on there. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if they will or they won't. Maybe when you said good news, I'm like Kyle's got some good news. 
<laughs> well, yeah, if you're going to do it after a loss, you might as well Dennis get will do it after a win, win, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah you're one and oh, this is what you've been preaching. Zero and zero. I wish I had a buck for every time somebody I, in the Ute program said we're zero and zero. <laughs> <laughs> we played that during the Ute update in the last, in the last no. hour or two hours ago. You're going to hear it again. Oh, we are? Are we about to hear it again? Yeah. Nice. I'd be planning my retirement party, man. They've been saying it. They've been drumming into our heads uh, just like a thousand times and keep saying it. Uh, and it's, it's fresh for them because they never really had to say it because they were always three and oh. <laughs> right. And they didn't need a new season. They just needed to continue. So they never really pumped that up. Well, they pump it up now because for the first time since they've been in the conference, they go one and two. Wow, we're zero and zero. And all right, great, zero and zero. The issues that you have are still there. You can, be, you can tell us whatever you want. But the issues that you have on your football team, they haven't changed just because the conference has started. <laughs> That's the most important thing. All right, so college football tomorrow, uh, the local game at 10 a.m., Channel 2, CBS, Utah State and Boise State. Are you and Fox calling that game? No, no, Fox is calling the uh, Weber State game. No, but there's plenty of time to do a double (laughs) (laughs) That'd be awesome. No, this is a CBS (laughs) national TV broadcast. It's going coast to coast. Aggie fans in Maine can watch this game. Boise State fans in Florida can watch this game. But if you need to channel surf... Soldier Field, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, home of the Bears, will be hosting that game, and it's on Big Fox at 10 a.m., so that might be worth, you know, a quick glance. Oh, I will, for sure. The second TV window. You're a male, and you've got a remote in your hand. Exactly. The second window, well, the Utes kick off a little early at 12.30. Most of the games start at 1.30. The Utes are on the Pac-12 network. The second window of your channel surfing. Uh, if you're a Big 12 fan or future Big 12 fan, uh, Baylor's playing Iowa State on Big Fox, so that's intriguing. And Arkansas, after beating Texas, Arkansas is 3-0 and and ranked 16th. They've been a doormat in the SEC West forever, and they got Texas A&M coming in, who's ranked number 7. So, well, I mean, they play that 60 minutes of hell down there in Arkansas. So. <laughs> that's... I don't know that many people got that reference, but that was that was nice. It's a 25-year-old college basketball reference, 30-year-old college basketball reference. Well played. Now, if the Utes win, and we expect they will, and they're 15-point favorites, but if they win, PK, the third TV window, there, is, uh, there isn't a local game kicking off there at 4 or 5 o'clock. So, Stanford-UCLA, all right, if the Utes win, let's see who in the South can hold it together. Put that one on the radar. See if UCLA. Well, if the Bruins lose, that's two in a row. They're a mess all of a sudden. Yep. And Chip Kelly, when are you going to get it going on? It's funny how these storylines can just change change in two weeks. But he's also saying we're zero and zero on the Pac-12. Right. I'm saying if they lose, though. If they lose, you're right. And Stanford, one and zero. If they win that, stamp themselves as the prime contender to Oregon. By sweeping the LA schools. Oh, most definitely. Getting to two and zero and three and one. And plus, they would be undefeated with their new quarterback. Right. So they keep keep playing these games back and forth. Yep. So the the point is, if you get off to a slow start, just switch quarterbacks. (laughs) Even if the quarterback isn't the issue, just switch them because then you can preach, oh, it's a new start. We got a new player, blah, 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 blah. DJ and PK, your feedback coming up next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. 
DJ PK, it is time for your feedback. PK, uh, before we get to that, I have to tell you one thing about high school football and probably college football recruiting. And I know you are a Brighton Bengal before you were a Corner Canyon Charger, and you may go back to your Bengals one day as you flip-flop teams. But if you talk to the Brighton coaching staff, you got to give them the slow clap. I don't talk to them, but go ahead. Don't outthink the room. Playing East last night, they'd been up 20-7. to They fell behind. It's 28-20. They're driving against the clock like three minutes ago, and they have a third and 14. And you know what you do? You throw the playbook and the analytics out the the window, and you give the ball to Leonard Barton, and you get out of the way. Another in a long line of athletes in that family, and he goes like a bowling ball off bowling pins and picks up the first down. And they did it on third down, so they had fourth down. They could have given it to him again if they had to. Never forget, no matter what happens, give the ball to the awesome athlete. I told you about that kid in the sixth grade. I know you did. I know. And, and it was awesome with the game on the line. They just threw a short pass over the middle and just let him go to work. And he was banging off these kids. I was watching it. Yeah, he got the first down, and they won the game. More high school football tonight, college football tonight, and then tons of college football tomorrow. You have a lot of confidence in our local teams. BYU getting 90% of the vote off 300 votes to beat USF. And uh, we have people tweeting at us. Um, Adam says, well, it looks like we got about 10% Ute fans voting here. I get it. 73% for the Utes to win. 52% for Utah State on almost 350 votes. So you can vote David DJ James on Twitter. Uh, Other stuff we have coming in here. Uh... I think Utah and BYU win, but I'm skeptical Utah State does, the Jazzy Ute tweets at us. And Lance Archibald says Utah and BYU are absolutely winning. WSU and USF are going to get manhandled. I highly doubt Utah State's going to win. I don't highly doubt it. You got a number yet? You settled on a percentage? I settled on 30. You want to go 40? You're not going 30 because you're not going to agree with me. And you're not going 20. That's, you, you got, they got a better chance than that. Because they can outscore people. They win the turnover battle. They win the game. There it is. Not that far out on the limb, but I'll take it. Uh, oh, here comes another one. I don't see Utah manhandling anyone, unfortunately. I could see a 24-17 win. Ooh. I want more than that. Yeah, right? Unless it, uh, the Cougs score like two minutes ago or something. You know, it's somewhat of a meaningless score. All right. DJ and PK, we are out of time. Hans and Scotty are coming up next, and they are giving away... Tickets to see the Utes and the Cougars, possibly the Aggies too. Scotty G will set you straight in just a minute. Stay tuned to find out when you can win tickets on their show. They will tell you next.